Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro and with me as always... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. Spring, Easter, the vernal equinox, the quickening, a time of death and rebirth and renewal, where mighty prehistoric behemoths batter zombie martial tripods to the bloody pub sawdust with tree-like reptile erections! What? That was Grant Morrison's foreword. Oh, right. In his first issue of Heavy Metal, which we will be discussing. Makes today. sense, makes sense. That was textbook Morrison, wasn't it? <laughs> well, that was literally a textbook. Reptile erections. Yes, okay. This is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seaport, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, and critiques. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. And remember, Seaport is on Patreon, support smart criticism in comics. So let's go on to the news, and we start with a sad note. Yeah. Right after... We recorded the last episode, it was announced that Darwin Cook, writer-artist of such work as DC's The New Frontier, Richard Stark's Parker the Hunter, Will Eisner the Spirit, and many others, was in uh, palliative care for cancer. And then one day later, it was announced that he's dead, uh, 1962 to 2016. Darwin Cook was one of the greatest artists, not only of his generation, but I think literally of the entirety of comicdom. Mm-hmm. And I really love... Just about everything of his that I've read. We're not going to open the can of forms it is before Watchmen Minutemen because I have forgive not read him it. That. Uh, well, okay. we don't need to forgive him. He did it. Whatever. This is the New Frontier and Richard Stark's Parker the Hunter and again Will Eisner the Spirit were not only great works. For me, what's important is they showed that you can take someone else's work and not necessarily be in his shadow. And you don't have to do it in a sort of like, I am reinventing it and I'm throwing away everything because... Will Eisner the Spirit by Darwin Cook was Will Eisner the Spirit at the same time as being Darwin Cook. It was important to him that the name of the creator was there, that he respected the legacy, but he still did his own thing, which is something that not many creators can do. It's either I'm going to do my own thing or if I'm going to do something else, I'm just going to be in its shadow completely. My first exposure to Cook was uh, Catwoman with Edward mm. Baker. Oh, yeah. Tremendous work. Still the best Catwoman art design ever. Absolutely. I mean, when you compare... Brubaker had a lot of artists mm-hmm. that came after Cook. No one ever got close it's, to what he it's did. It's the defining example that I give to sexy versus sexualized. Because mm-hmm. it was a sexy work. But it wasn't just like, oh, you know, pose this and look at my butt. It was... Intelligent. No, that came afterwards when they rebooted it. Intelligent and elegant. Yeah. And really, really. A great loss to the Mm -hmm. the comic book community. And to Um, his family, of course. And to his family, of course. I guess the comfort is that, like Kirby, this is an artist who will be remembered and whose work will be remembered and will continue to resonate with new generations of readers. Because unlike many of his peers, there's a certain timeless quality to to his artwork, to his style. And you could give DC the New Frontier to anyone. At any time. The same goes for Catwoman. Like, you could give these works to just about anybody. The Hunter books, the Starks, Richard Starks, Parker, the Hunter books, Mm -hmm. are my go-to recommendation for people people asking me to outside of superhero comics. Because it's like, this is a great action crime story, period. If you want to help, if you want to support his family, you can give in through the Hero Initiative. And they said... In the blog, they also would appreciate uh, donations to Cancer Canada research. Yep. So, really sad, Great sad loss. news. And more... Comics mm, news. Yeah, yeah. Comixology launched something called Comixology Unlimited, which mm-hmm. is a five ninety nine a month subscription service, which will allow the subscriber 
a bunch load, a metric bunch load, I believe is the direct quote, of comics from Lumberjanes to Love and Rockets to Wicked Plus Divine. Uh, first month for free, though right now it's limited to the U.S. So for... Sort of the Netflix model. Yeah, yeah. Netflix. Like, you pay a lump sum of a subscription and you have access to a certain library. Yeah. Marvel and DC currently are opting out. Marvel, they have their own Marvel Unlimited. Can and... I be a little petty And about DC this? is allergic to money. Yeah? Can I be a little petty? Comixology CEO David Steinberger had an interview with Alex Spencer. Mm-hmm. And Spencer asked about the publishers who were participating in Comixology Unlimited. And he noted that of all the publishers, DC and Marvel weren't part of the program. And Steinberger replied, and I quote, If you look at who's putting out the best content in comics, we have a lot of the best publishers on Unlimited. Marvel and DC clearly aren't there. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself, Well, David. it's an odd thing to say because one of the companies <laughs> they toted in the press launch was Xenoscape. Um, well, well, now Marvel have we'll their, get to Marvel and DC. Well, Ma- Marvel have their own service, which, as far as I know, works fine for them. You know, it costs ten dollars a month. Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, it yeah. costs ten dollars a month, and people are subscribing. So you know, does Marvel it works. Unlimited allow uh, downloads of their files? No, no, no. Because Comicsology does with these particular publishers. I don't. Well, know no, no, no. The unlimited stuff wouldn't be downloaded because they said it's shifting in and out, so you can read it, and then one day it might be gone. But image specifically allows all of well when you when when you buy it ah but okay th- again this is a subscription right. service you, it's not for you and it's not forever like right now they said Lumberjays for example is there just about any part of it sure but it's not always going to be there so it is a Netflix model like yeah. rotating content mm-hmm. depending on demand no, and requirements. there are two big problems right now with Comicsology okay. Unlimited the first one is that apparently many creators are writers and artists just weren't announced about it they read it on the news the same as us. And I was on Twitter when Jamie McElvey like posted yeah. up, what's this? Nobody told me. And the Wicked and the Divine is going to be there. And that's a creator-owned comic. And Image, specifically, many Image creators said we never heard about it. Dark Horse apparently did tell its creators. Yeah, there seems to be some like communication error here because there were people at Dark Horse who claimed to have been notified before the program Months even ago. launched. Yeah. Like they knew. When mm-hmm. McKelvey asked on Twitter, there were a whole bunch of creators who said, you know, we didn't know anything about this. Now that could just be attributed to lost emails or yeah. whatever. Well, not before everybody at once. Just, just, that's because just... clearly some people were notified. So this wasn't yeah, some like people an not in image. And with image, I think it's extremely problematic because Image made its name and is currently, you know, trading on the fact that it's creator owned and we respect the rights of the creators and the creator come first and, you mm-hmm. know, what you get is 100% creator owned and then you do stuff like that. That's. Wait, what are we accusing Image of here? We're not, I'm not accusing, I'm just saying it's no, shady I... because when you say we put the creators first and we want to respect the creators and then you say, well, we just uploaded your content to a subscription service without even asking you. Because Comixology already had access to that. Well, material. it had access to a particular thing, right? It had access to we sell it on a issue or trade basis and you get money. Now it's we give it for $6 a month, including tons of stuff. And most of the creators apparently don't know how much they're going to pay, which brings us to the second problem, which is the, re- the bigger thing. Because as Ed Brubaker noted, uh, subscription services tend to be great for the consumer, mm-hmm. great for the industry. Terrible for the creators. Yes. Spotify is the perfect example of a service that has tens of millions of subscribers and the artists get nothing. And Meaning- while I respect Ed Brubaker for taking that position, 
as a consumer of comics, it is not my job to be concerned for your Oh, I, did, I disagree. No, because I'll, I'll tell you why. We have been favorable towards Image for being, cre- you know, pro-creator, for being very open with their policies, for being very reactive when they needed to be. We give them a lot of credit for that. And, and I absolutely agree that they deserve everything that they have. Let's not forget, though, that the average comic price point today tends to veer between three and four dollars yeah. for one issue, yeah. which is typically twenty-two pages, twenty-four pages, somewhere in in that ballpark, right? To say, especially today, especially in digital comics, where you don't even have to pay printing costs or shipping costs for anything, right? To say that that price has been a fixed point for all of this time, I'm sorry. That is not, there's no proportion here, right? It's, there has never been any attempt, even with Image, right? And Image, I would say, like, of all the publishers, Image and I think Dark Horse are the ones that have been the most forward-facing in terms of embracing new media because Image allows downloads of their comics because People, sometimes people are not always online, but they still want to read comics. Yeah, DRM-free so, downloads. DRM-free downloads. Dark Horse allowed the same thing from their own website. If you purchase books from them, you can download them. Is it still there now that they're in with Comixology? It I was don't there in it the It used past. to be. Yeah. I would imagine that they just transferred those rights over mm-hmm. to comics. It's like the point being that they don't have a problem with it, right? But even them, they haven't adjusted to the notion that if you are selling content digitally... You are not really in the best position to say, well, because of diamond and because of paper prices and because of this, this book has to be $3.99. Like, it goes to this whole, you know, one of the things that Tom Brevert likes to say when people mock Marvel for like low sales is like, oh, we have stacks of cash in our offices. You know, I'm sitting on a, on a throne made of dollars. It's like, well, if you're sitting on a throne made of dollars, why are your comics six bucks? There's a discrepancy there. Because you will pay that. And I and I understand Brubaker's position from the point of view of a creator. If you are working for Image, you are putting together a creator-owned project, and you have set a certain price, and that price is being met on the direct market, and that price is also being met on Comixology, to then say, like, this subscription service harms creators, I'm sorry, but creators have been sticking it to consumers of comics for the Whoa. last 20 years. No, no, no. And let's be realistic No, here. no. Sean. I'm... Excuse me. Trades are still being sold. Comixology is still selling single yeah. issues. The fact that in addition to all of these, there is also a subscription service does not take away anything yeah, from Yeah, but Ed the subscription service would probably harm sales. Because How if, so? Because if people can get the entirety of The Wicked and Divine for $6 a month, why would they, they buy the trade? They can't get the entirety of The Wicked well, and the Divine, though. Well, That's they, the whole point. They can get the first two or three trades. No, now, what, why, why Because buy what Steinberger has pointed out, and correctly, is that just like Image's own program, where they sell the first trade for cheaper to yeah. get people in interested this works on the same principle they're not going to put the entirety of any work available on they said that well very clearly but they also said they put the entirety of love and rockets on the first go. i don't think they have Th- that's what they said the entirety or you know so. like 70 percent of the and first... pentagraphics as far as i'm as far as i know are not 
digital. Like they don't. Well, Love and Rockets are owned by like many people. Well, it's owned by Los Brothers owners who publish it via many companies because I remember it was in Vertigo for a while and then it was in Dark Horse and then yeah, it was... it's made the round, but I don't think it's ever been digitally available. Well, no, no, some of the graphic work is some, digital, some, not all of it. Exactly. But again, like, I, 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 I go, Sean, I because go ahead. image, you know, image and the creators of image are not the ones who are putting it in. To the consumers. I'm sorry, image the publishers of first trade for $10, second trade for $15. Mm-hmm. Uh, the publishers of will give you a special sale, will help you, will be there with I'm you. I'm not implying malice. What I am saying though is that even image, right? Even image, who, again, I associate as a company that is the most consumer friendly in the market right now. Even they sell 22 page stories for three to four dollars because the creators need to make money that's fantastic but that's not my problem why because you, you, I, want, you want more you want more creations don't you I do want more creations but there has to be some kind of sensible proportion between the amount of material that you are receiving and the amount of money that you're paying it's been askew for so long in the comics industry specifically that I think people don't like we get mad at Five dollar comics yeah. for twenty pages, right? And rightfully so, yes. I think. But at the same time, we also acknowledge that the requirements for the production of comics is what forces the baseline price, like three to four dollars. We yes. accept that that's the case because you have to print it on glossy paper and you have to ship it well, through diamond you, and you have to do all of these. And things. when you do it online, you have to give uh, to Amazon less. and Comicsology their cut, which is apparently pretty big. But you are not paying. Anything for product, like there's no such thing as a second printing. You don't have to go back to the printing press to create a second run of Saga because it's already online. I get the idea that online comics should be cheaper. They should be cheaper. And, and 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 many, and often they, monkey brain. Okay. And often they are because Image has online sales and comicology every other week. And I think to go from that to you could be cheaper to we should pay you about 10 cents per issue, I, which is I'm, what no, the creators no, 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 will no, no, get. No, no, I'm not putting a numerical price on that. What I'm saying is, again, I understand the perception that Brubaker and McKelvey and the ones who are against this, I understand their Well, side. McKelvey didn't say he's against it. He just said, I don't, I didn't know anything about it. He's, Brubaker said... The tone of his tweets later suggested that he wasn't happy and, about it, and well, I understand. And, and, uh, rightfully so. I understand. Again, like, I completely understand and validate the position of the creators specifically. At the same time, this is a program that is designed for people who would not necessarily... Again, like, if you are not in the industry, the idea of spending $3 for 22 pages when, like, you could get a... I don't know. You could get a novel for, like, a dollar more. That's 300, 400 pages, right? This is a major reason why the industry is constantly shrinking. The amount of people who are willing to put up with these prices. Well, comics of sales are actually smaller. a bit a bit going up a bit. If you look at the industry in general. Overall, sure. Yeah, but I heard Marvel, Marvel and DC. And DC. Well, Marvel and DC okay. are shrinking and that's not a bad thing. Right. Well, uh, my my point is this. I think if you go to the subscription services, the pendulum goes a bit too far to the under end. Right now we don't know and apparently the creators don't know which is suspicious to me what you're going to get for it. Because logic dictates that some works are going to get more browsing, you know, data over other. Because people going into the subscription service, most of them want to read your Brubakers, your McElvies, your your sagas, whatever. But it also gives them access. See, and it also, right. 
Mm-hmm. The good thing about it is that hopefully it will expose you to other works, which will then get your attention and money. And you will then go to Comixology well, and buy these things. But in that case, the people who are there to be, who are, you know, the foot through the door, the people who you actually pay to see for the first time to read, how much will they get? It doesn't seem, if it's just a lump sum for everybody, it doesn't seem fair that, you know, Brubaker, who, I don't know, if the fade out is there, how many people subscribe to Comixology? Millions? Well, let's not say that the fade out was Brubaker's most successful work financially. It's no, not no. like he sold that one through the roof. No, but, you know, more people will look at that than, I don't know, Xenoscape's Naked Ladies sure. Fighting Fun sure. 341. And I imagine that Comixology have a way of tracking access to specific the content within. The question is how much will an Amazon company actually share the profit properly with know. the creators? It's just, I don't know. We have to bifurcate the issues here we have to separate what is good for the creator on the one hand and what is good for the consumer on the i don't think so because what's good for the creator could be should be not always should be has should never be, been should be also good for the audience and good for the industry hopefully there is a balance point and i don't think going the other way around saying well you know i'm i'm having fun screw the creator is a good no, way to go not about it screw the creator but again Brubaker's statement, for example, is taking as given that this subscription is somehow canceling out profits that he would have otherwise received. This is false. Because if that subscription service didn't exist, if you wanted to try the fade out, you would have to purchase the first trade online and spend $20. $10. However much it is, right? That is already a situation where you might be driving some people away. Whereas if you were to hook them, pay $6 for the subscription... Hook well, them with it, the first trade, and then they will come they back can, for they more. They can buy the first issue online for like $2, and Brubaker will get... But the first issue is 22 pages. So, the writing for the trade mentality is dominant here, whether they well, want to admit it or we not. We reviewed the first issue of the fade-out. We didn't have a We review first it. issues all the time, but yeah. no. But we, we, it we reviewed the first issue of the trade-out knowing how Brubaker works yeah. and having certain expectations of who this guy is and how the art works and what the structure of the story is going to look, look like. Uh, it, but for image... For most of these issues, again, if I want to get a taste and decide if I want more, I can buy the first issue online. Most of the time, not for $3 or $4 or even $2. Most of the time, I can buy it for $1. They have, again, they have these sales all the time, which is good sure. for me. And there is nothing wrong with I buy this issue for $1. I like it. I give my money to Ed Brubaker, to Sean Phillips, who deserve it for the great work you they do. You are operating on the assumption that the first... How many times on this show have we reviewed first issues from Image and said explicitly that it does not pass the first issue test well, of we giving said it, you enough information to want to come we back? We said it about many issues. Exactly. So the, it's the difference here between saying you have access to the first issue or you have access to the first trade, where at the very least, the first trade gives you a clear enough idea of what's going on here... That you can then say, you know what? I want to buy trades two, three, and four. That is money that goes directly into the creator's pockets, even if they do purchase it from Comixology, or if they go to their comic shop and, and buy but, them there. But if trades two, three, you know, if trades one through three are online... That's different. Beca- that's but that problem. wasn't the impression that I got But from- the impression that I've got is that for many series, it would be a quite a large chunk. It wouldn't be... You know, first issue there. Because my, my other example for how to do this right is the Humble Bundle. Right. Which, in which you paid A, you chose the amount, and you even cho- choose how much to give to the creators versus how much you give to the various charities Humble Bundle supports. Mm-hmm. But it's never, well, it's almost never a complete run of something. It always no. 
first two and I, and I will go on record as saying that it should not be complete yeah. runs and it should not be two trades I could even justify yeah. if we're dealing with a series like Why the Last Man that ran for 60 issues first two trades fine no, uh, that's probably well, yeah, where you Walking Dead you know broke the limit and they sold the first 40 issues the compendium on Humble Bundle and you could get it and it's fine because Kirkman knows that people, if they actually finish the compendium, they'll probably, they'll probably be back <laughs> yeah. for the If other they make thing. it to the end and they still if want more, you're they, good. They're going to be there. But like I said, the problem is that we don't know enough yet. And okay. I'm but not, that's why I'm not willing to condemn them just yet. I'm well, I'm not, say... I'm not willing to condemn them, but I am suspicious. And the fact that it started with the whole wrong fruit for the door of, well, nobody told most of the creators. I don't know what happened there because... I it's can, weird. I'll no, no, no. I, I can I can accept a missing email for one or two creators image. I cannot accept a missing email for everybody. For no, such there a big was thing. there were artists no, 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 who knew about it. No, no, the artists who knew about it were all talking from Dark Horse. No, I'm reasonably sure that I saw uh, at least one that said I got well, the email. Well, like there six was one ago. who knew it, but she was herself a small time publisher, so she got a mail as who a was pub. it Janelle? No, no, someone else. I, there was an, an artist who worked uh, writer who worked at Image. Who said she knew about it, but she was also a small-time publisher, so she okay, would have no, a mail I, separately. I'll, I'll absolutely concede that the communication here could have been done better. Mm. But again, like I'm not, okay. uh, I, I'm optimistic about this function only because it is past time that some kind of reasonable alternative existed for digital comics specifically. Not for like, I'm, I'm not expecting Diamond to cut their prices by twenty percent. That's never going to happen, right? We know that. No. But if Comixology wants to compete, be my guest. Uh, speaking of screwing with creators. Actually, like, if mm. we, re- if we need a really good segue. Okay. Speaking of, like, when Steinberger said we have the best, but DC and Marvel aren't here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about DC and Marvel. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, DC Rebirth, number one, it came out. I have not Was read it. Yesterday. Yesterday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. For when we're recording. Yeah. You know, lock us in time and space, like <laughs> Dr. Manhattan will exist in all points. Ooh, let's do it. Let's okay, do it. spoilers. I have not read the issue, but Neither I have been I. spoiled about it by the internet. Should we talk about the spoilers? Yeah, yeah. We, okay. should, we should mention. Now, there are several things which gave a tickle of formness to apparently all-time DC readers. Much of my Facebook page was filled with people saying, Oh, it's the thing that I like. It's that character again. Uh, Wally West is back. Wally West is A back. A Wally West is back. No, the unfortunately, the Wally West is back. Is it? Because it's like Kid Flash. He's like Kid Flash and the Flash at the same time. And uh, right... I mean, we were talking about yeah. like, when we say the Wally West, everyone... Ugh, Under I, I, hate, I hate to say it. It's the white Wally West. I hate to say it that way. Was there way, a not white like, Wally West? I have not read DC's Flash for a while. He's turned up recently and he's a black kid and oh. now he's... Well, now there's... He wasn't Kid Flash yet. Mm-hmm. They were clearly building towards that. Okay. And now pre-52 Wally West is back. And now don't get me wrong. Wally West is my Flash because I'm, you know, grew up in the... You grew up in the 1990s. Barry 1990s. Allen was dead when I was in first grade. So I'm like, listen, I don't know who you are and I don't care. Wally West, Kyle Rayner, that's my generation. Yeah. That's fine. But why are you bringing back? So okay. let's... Well, bringing Wally West is one thing. Bringing Ryan Choi as the Adam is another thing. Uh-huh. The big Did that thing... actually happen? Apparently. Hope he survives this time. The big thing and the big screw-up <sighs> for my money is bringing in Dr. Manhattan oh, into the DC God. Universe. Apparently, as the big bad creator of the new 52 verse. Oh, God. 
just why, 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 why the last man? Yes. Why? Oh, the question unanswerable. WTF? You but hang on, let's backtrack. No, for no, a no. Second. The funny thing is that two days before this news was announced, I was in Tel Aviv University giving a lecture in the <laughs> yes, uh, science fiction were. symposium. I'm a sorry, very, I'm beginning my personal life. A very well received lecture, I should say. Yeah, for all four people listening in. And one of the bits was talking about Watchmen and the concept of time, and it ended with, and Dr. Manhattan leaves the universe filled with superheroes and says, I, as a representation of the reader, am leaving this world of superheroes to create something new and Mm -hmm. original. And That was not an invitation, Jeff Johns. And what DC is saying, well, he left it to create another worse universe of superheroes. Oh, boy. So hang on, let's rewind to like where this started, basically. Because what happened here was, this all began, as it usually does, mm-hmm. with Bleeding Cool. Yeah. Rich Johnston leaked the exact pages from Rebirth, I think at the beginning of the week yes. that it was supposed to come out. Detailing only that Wally West was back and that Watchmen was being brought into the DCU. Now... Yep. These leaks did not originate with Bleeding Cool. Apparently, somebody went on Reddit yeah. and leaked those pages, and then Bleeding Cool just reposted them. Dan Slott, oh. it's not even his company. It's not even his company. This man is driving me insane. And at the same time, I'm so burnt out with his self-righteous bullshit. He goes online, and he starts complaining about how Rich Johnson and Bleeding Cool are just the worst of the worst because they're spoiling this information that was kept secret for a reason and it was so important it for was DC. apparently kept DC leaked it themselves it was apparently no it was apparently kept secret in order for other news sites with exclusivity deals with DC to Jeff spoil. Johns two days yeah. later goes on and spoils it before the day yeah okay all of this kerfuffle about comic book spoilers Jeff Johns offering a mm. money back guarantee which I guarantee you people will take him up on that and then he'll turn out to lie no, I'll it. have to read the issue to actually take him up on it so I'll refuse thank you <sighs> thank good good choice here's the thing DC leaked it themselves and this this connects to like the thing with Dr. Manhattan and Wally West and how all of this is connected is that DC are very clearly turning into the Kardashians of the comic book industry. And what do I mean by that? This is a company that is so desperate for attention. They are so desperate for people to be talking about them that they will set up these ridiculous events that are happening like every six months now on Clockwork, right? And they leak their own comics. While Dan Slott is looking like a complete moron on the other side of the country complaining about spoilers, they're doing it themselves because they want people to talk about them. Because they are terrified of people meeting their bombast with absolute apathy, now, which I, they should have. Now, I don't have any single problem with any of that as a rule. It's their prerogative and it's what, you know what, it's what comic book companies have been doing for no. that. Yes. No. As far, for my money, it's what comic book companies have been doing at least. Since the death of Superman, which so, was the exact same thing. Here's the dividing line, though. Mm-hmm. Even at the time that they were killing off Superman and doing that ridiculous reign of the Superman story yeah. and all of that it's nonsense. It's raining Superman, hallelujah. That happened in the 1990s. Even then, there were certain limitations that they were not willing to go to for whatever reason. You said that like you attribute that to Paul Levitz. Before the podcast, we've talked about it a bit. Yeah, yeah. We, met, we were sort of building up to it. So you're saying like Paul Levitz stopped a lot of crap yeah. that otherwise would have gone through. But I'm saying, okay, Levitz is gone. 
The people who are running the show now are Dan DiDio, Jim Lee, and Jeff Johns. And these three have no shame, no constraints, no concepts of good taste. They have taken a graphic novel that for 30 years has been a bulwark of their reputation despite all of the creator license nonsense that surrounds it that everybody knows about and nobody says anything because Watchmen is still held up as a masterpiece of a graphic novel. Because it is. And they have taken that and they have put it into their DCU as a marketing gimmick. That is something. I mean, you're saying they've been doing this since the death of Superman. They never touched no, no, Watchmen no, during no, that. No, like period. I said, I, I'm not against comic book companies being shameless and gimmicky as a rule because to a point. Yes, yeah, the point being, and I'm sorry, that's me. That's a very personal thing. To other people, it would have been something else. The point is, leave Watchmen alone. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like that blonde kid on the internet. What, whatever leave his name. Leave Watchmen alone. Leave Ellen Moore alone. <laughs> Ellen Moore, we, we've critiqued Ellen Moore about stuff he said in the past, but really, this is just trolling. Yeah. At this point, this is... It is. And I have not read the issue, but from reviews I've read, and these were the positive reviews of, well, this is a transformative works because it critiques the post-Watchmen malaise of comic book darkness. Now, if you want to do that... You the comic book darkness that Jeff Johns yeah, has yeah, been engineering the for the last now, 10 years. Now, if you want to do that, it's quite simple. Just right. Fun, happy superhero stories. Not with Jeff Johns at the helm. You gotta fire him and fire Didio and then write happy stories. And this is the thing that drove me nuts. There was a, a, a round table mm. about Rebirth at Comics Alliance and Kieran Sheik from Journey into Mystery said, this is at least the third time in recent memory that DC have tried to sell their audience on we're going to have a new, hopeful, optimistic Leroy future. Cage, right before the 52. No, no. All right. That was Marvel. After, uh, oh, right. Siege. Oh, right. No, but DC had something like that too. Uh, before New, New Day, Birthday. Sure, all of that. They have, New Birth. They have tried three times to sell marketing wise the idea of this optimistic, hopeful new universe, and they have failed each time. Why should we believe that Jeff Johns, who is king writer at DC right now, before the New 52 even happened, he was running things. Since when is John's capable of optimism and hope? Well, he is. He was 10 years ago. Not, uh, yeah. Where? Where is... Last not, time, not 10 years ago. I'm talking now. Ah, well, right. No. Last time was Booster Gold. DC is saying we're going to have like hope and it's in the rebirth issue. Yeah. It's an actual wording. It's like uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan stole time from this universe and he took away friendships. No, he and didn't. he took away legacy. Watchmen... Watchmen... Did nothing of the sort for superhero comics. Superhero comics Let me did rephrase. it for themselves. Let me rephrase. Yes. Dr. Fohatton. Are you okay yeah. with that? Let's do that. Dr. Fohatton. Call him Captain Adam. I don't care. Watchmen, the- it's a misconception that makes me so angry. Watchmen or and the Dark Knight Returns did not cause the dark age of superheroes. No. People who misunderstood Watchmen. And the Dark Knight Returns, and Daredevil Born Again, Same. and Electra Sets, and, yeah. and, and the Saga Swamp Thing caused the dark age of superheroes because they were stupid. Because they looked at something smart and mature and sublime that was also dark and greedy and said, well, we can't be smart, we can't be mature, we certainly cannot be sublime, we'll just take the grim and gritty bits of it. Watchmen is not to blame. Ellen Moore did no, not no, destroy no, no, your no. toy works. I am Stop not. Stop bringing him back. It's Let the difference. Him be. There's no causality here. That's mm-hmm. the thing. People have always looked at Watchmen as if it caused 
everything that happened afterwards. It's like, no, Watchmen may have deconstructed superheroes. It may have been an influence on later writers that came up. But Alan Moore wasn't sitting there rubbing his hands together like Mr. Burns being like, I am now going to destroy superheroes. It's a self-contained work. It wasn't meant to have any influences beyond Well, no, that. in a good world, most of the creative community would look at Watchmen and come up with something like Astro City. Which was a response to Watchmen, but a good kind of response. Yeah. Response said, "Well, I look at Alan Moore cri- Supreme. Yeah, I look at your criticism, and here is what I've got to say to it in a mature and intelligent sure. manner. Top ten. Yeah, right. Like Alan Moore himself had responses to the quote-unquote dark age of comics. It, Grant, it's not Grant Morrison, who hated Watchmen, who hated everything Alan Moore stood for, had better responses. But now." 30 years later, you're still bringing it up. You're like... This no, now they're explicitly bringing it up. Yeah, That's the thing. Now like, it's like... They're, and they're calling them the Watchmen. They never called themselves the Watchmen. I, I don't... It's like a kid, you know, who's still yeah. 40 years old is like saying, my daddy did this. My, grow up. Grow the bunch up. I, 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 no, you could curse. You're, you are actually entitled no. to at least two curse words now. <laughs> I promise you I won't bleep them out. Go for it. No, no. Let it out. No, because I'm a mature person. I don't need to swear to make my point. <laughs> but, grow, grow up. But DC Comics, grow up. You want to create fun, happy comics? Fire no. Jeff Johns. No, don't fire anybody. Just hire people who can make fun. You have people who can make fun, no, happy comics. Is this not what I have been saying mm. for months? And what, yeah. what Kieran Sheik was saying also, and what so many people have been saying, it's like, you are trying again to convince readers to come back to DC because everyone who was fed up with the Zack Snyder, grim and gritty, dark blue, you know, you remember that old parody webcomic Gutters? Yeah. So they show the, the, the pose of like the superhero getting stabbed from behind by the villain. And there's a word bubble that says this happens in every other Jeff Johns comic. I don't know why you think it's shocking anymore. As he's being like, that was the arm blown off. Exactly. No, the arm okay. blown, no, no, it's the arm blown off and the, the, the <laughs> sword coming from behind. So it's like, okay, the person who did that is still running DC. Why would you that, think that was, like, that was supposedly his swan song because he's now yeah. living to the, make the movies. No, but that was a terrible swan song. I don't even song. believe that though. I don't even believe that Jeff Johns doesn't have input on how the overall story of the DC universe continues. I don't believe that. We're really angry about a comic we haven't even read, No, because... (laughs) For for two reasons. First of all, the desperation is what's getting me here. Like, just how far they're willing to go to create a faux scandal that between you and me, this whole Dr. Manhattan thing is going to get retconned in six months anyway. Or a year tops. We're already counting down to whatever comes after. It was actually the the anti-monitor wearing a Dr. Manhattan cosplay. Sure, There's no end to it. There is no end to it. DC have been constantly trying to fool. Nothing ever ends, Sean. Uh Uh-huh. Words from a better writer than anybody who's working at DC now. (laughs) But there's another component to all of this. Not just that DC is basically like showing how desperate it is and that's a huge turnoff. But also, and this was a point that we talked about also before the podcast, but it's absolutely worth bringing up. I am taking the position here that having the cast of Watchmen show up in the DCU dilutes Watchmen considerably. And what do I mean by that? Okay. Look at the historical background here, right? I can't think of many properties that were improved by being integrated into the main universe just because of the mechanics of how that worked. John Constantine has been this watered-down mess ever since he moved from Vertigo to DC. Starbrand and Nightmask from the new universe, they barely lasted six issues in Marvel. Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, is just puttering around... Most of the Stormwatch cast, with the exception of Midnighter, 
That was and Midnighter fun. got cancelled too. Well, yeah, it's last. You know, twelve issues in this day and age is gone, a lot. Yeah. Gone. The funny thing about Spider-Man twenty, like Miguel O'Hara, is being written by his original writer. Yeah, but he's in the present day in the Marvel universe, so he's just another well, Spider-Man. I, I think it would have been cancelled even if it was in twenty nine verse, simply because I don't it's... think it has been cancelled actually. I think it's still going on, but I mean, it, well, it's it's not the power of Peter David, but it's not getting any attention. And then you remember when DC tried to integrate Milestone? How'd that work out for them? What? You exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you, so no, now I'm you're telling me to the listeners who forget yeah, like uh-huh. Milestone that happened, and then it lasted like two issues of JLA, and then everybody's <laughs> forgotten about Static it. Static who? So now you're telling me Doctor Manhattan is the new Superboy Prime? Whoop de doo. Right? And it's okay. damaging now, now, the brand. We had an argument before the episode, and this is the thing I disagree about. Yeah. I think it's shameful. I think it's stupid. I think it's, you know, legally fine, morally bankrupt, but not more so than before Watchmen, so whatever. I don't think it's going to dilute Watchmen simply for this reason. Watchmen is undilutable. I disagree. Nothing that DC will do, and they have done plenty, and they apparently will do plenty can destroy this work any more than, I don't know, any unauthorized Moby Dick sequel, which there have been several, can destroy Moby Dick because Watchmen is so above it. It's really, it really? is so above that. If Lex Luthor is going to create a Rorschach clone that is going to walk around and fight Superman, Watchmen's strength for so many decades has been, you could know nothing about comics. Walk into a bookstore Pick it up off the shelf, take it home, read it, and that would be the end of the experience. And it still is. No, because now they're going to be part of this larger universe. There is going to be marketing campaigns depicting, I don't even know, what, Ozymandias and Lex Luthor having like a secret powwow, dark side trading notes with the comedian. You know they're going to bring the comedian back. They're going to bring the comedian. That's just like... That's going to happen. Oh, the comedian is going to be the new Joker. Sure. Why not? There are three Jokers running around. One of them could be the comedian. Why not? You know, it's it's ridiculous. And it is going to damage Watchmen. Because now Watchmen is going to be inextricably tied to all of this How how long has it been since before Watchmen? Three years now? Before Watchmen was also self-contained, though. It did not make any pretensions of having... No, no, but here's the thing. You know what the fact it had on Watchmen? Nothing. I haven't, ever since it got wrapped up, I never seen in any comic book store that I visited a single no. trade copy. Because the owners of the store said, nobody cares about it. Nobody cares, nobody read it, yeah. nobody was interested. No, no, people, people read it at the time, you know, for the sheer what the fuckery of... Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> no, no, you said I, it. No, it. I wanted not to swear, but it's it good. Up, whatever. People, you know, read it at the time, but then they forgot about it. And you know what? Whatever crap DC pulls out right now... For, I don't know, one year, two years, up until the next terrible reboot, it's going to be forgotten. Yep. Gone and gone. And it's not going to hurt Watchmen because, hear me out. That depends. Watchmen um... is Superman. And DC, right now, is the stupid crook holding a gun, shooting at him. <laughs> I wish you... I could believe that I... that was true. And, you know, but th- again... and this here is wisdom. Not going to happen. I, I wish that that were true. Any more, any more My, than Frank Miller's later works have hurt in any way The Dark Knight Returns, and they have not because the oh. Dark. I've reread it recently. You know, The Dark Knight Returns, still great. Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Two, Electric Boogaloo, whatever, didn't touch it. I don't care. You cannot ruin a good work but by you publishing know that though. Like you're approaching that from the perspective of someone who knows these books and, and I, is able to sort it out. And, and I say, believe, and I believe greatness will overcome. I truly do. I would like to believe that. There are enough historical uh, anecdotes to the contrary. But if we're talking about desperation, 
Okay, this is one we disagree and if DC, about. Yeah. If DC are the Kardashians, mm-hmm. then all I can think of is that Marvel are honey poo poo. I can't because even do a reality show, you know, reference. It's good that I you don't, don't know, but I'm sure that our no, listeners I, I'm, do. I'm slightly familiar with the Kardashians, and I'm worried honey boo boo was a thing, but I don't yeah. know the details. Stay that way. You don't want to know. Trust me. That's what drove Cthulhu. I, I read, you know, just proper literature. I do not watch your filthy TV. That should be done. But what happened at Marvel recently that's caused a bit of a... Internet steer. Ooh. A bit of a, a, a ruff, ruffled feathers. Ruffle? Sure, sure. Ruffle? Nick Spencer has recently retconned Captain America to be a Hydra sleeper agent. Uh, uh, we have a character created by Jews at the height of the Holocaust saying Hail Hydra. Now, here's the thing. You said, and you're right, that this is not the first time that the image of Captain America has been quote-unquote turned evil. Right? Yeah, the Red Skull used to run around in like a clone body. There was another clone that was like the Grand. He was my, he was mind controlled by Armin Zola. No, that ended time. up being a clone in Brubaker's run. No, 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 I'm talking about the Grand Dictator saga. Yeah, from that here. was that ended up being like a, a oh, clone. so they reversed. But sure. at the time, it was Captain America waving a Nazi sure. flag, you know, saying sure. dispose of the filth. Listen, after Man Wolf, I mean Cap Wolf, Cap Wolf, sure, <laughs> sure, Man Wolf, completely different. All. All true, all fine, all acceptable. Here's where the problem starts, though. Marvel are pushing this as, here's the brave new direction for our character. And again, making Captain America a Nazi. This is a character who, again, was created by Jews. It's the same phenomenon as what's going on with DC. It's the desperation, right? It is blindly reaching... For anything that will provide a short-term sales bump, when you and I know, like, the two of us sitting here on this couch recording this episode are fully aware of the fact, for however long Nick Spencer thinks he can keep this going, it will eventually snap back to status quo, right? We talked about Dan Slott killing off Spider-Man. He's back now, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Right? How long did that last? Two years. Three years? Sure. That was it. Right? And That's knew. a blip. And we knew he's going to come back. No one was surprised when he came back. Some, some really gullible children, apparently. Well, that's their problem. The sheer, blind, unthinking panic that underlines these moves okay. is something that I'm finding incredibly distasteful. Now, here's why I disagree. And first thing, I, I, and before I even disagree, I will prove that I'm right and you're wrong. Oh, this will okay. be fun. Yeah, because Kurt Busiek agrees with me. Online and and since we've agreed that when Kurt Busiek says something, he is right. What did Kurt Busiek say exactly? He said that people are annoyed about this, are you know talking out of their what have you? Because because it's a story hook, and this and this is what story hooks do. He said that. Well, I'm phrasing. Obviously, uh-huh. I don't have it in front of my eyes. But okay. he spent a long time on Twitter yesterday arguing with people. Saying exactly what you said, including a lot of people were annoyed, like, oh, they turned this guy great by Jews into a Nazi. It's not a good look. The fact that it's happened before and the fact that it's a story... But again, it's happened before because... I, but so- I agree with Kurt Busiek on this. What we've been talking about, it is a story beat. Yes. But... It's still a dumb story. I don't beat. think so. Okay, it could be. It's a, a dumb story. No, no, I beat think it's a dumb. I think it could be a dumb story beat, but we don't know. Oh, we know. No, 
Tom, come it's, on. This is comic books. It's Marvel. And, no, this is comic books. And in the end, it's going to be, he was mind-washed. He was a double agent. He was a triple agent. He was a quadruple agent. Sure. It was the Cosmic Cube. It was a sure. clone. It was retconned. It was a different universe created by the Superboy punching the reality. There will be a snapback to status quo. I'm not disputing and, that. Busiek's not and disputing I have, that. And see, I don't have a problem with it. This is how superhero stories work, you know, since the Bronze Age, at least. We already know that these characters will be back. The question is, can you make the journey interesting? We knew Spider-Man isn't going to die. The question that uh, yes. Dan Slott and the writers and artists who worked with him during the Superior Spider-Man phase was a different question of what is, does this different Spider-Man mean? What does it mean to the supporting cast? And can he make the journey interesting? Now, you didn't like it. I kind of no. did. Not, not all the way to the end, but... These characters will always come back. There is nothing yes. wrong with doing a story beat of, oh, Captain America is a... In itself, there's nothing wrong with that. As an individual story beat that could have appeared in any other context, that idea is not the end of the world. What I'm objecting to here and what I think Busick isn't referring to, because like when he's saying, you know, it's just a story beat, status quo will reassert itself yeah. in the end. I completely agree with that. What I'm objecting to here is the fact that the way it's being presented and the way it's being executed, and this also connects to, like, why did I not like Peter Parker's death? There is a difference between having a story objective play itself out and that be a focal point of interest for the reader between someone sitting at a marketing session and saying, let's kill Spider-Man, that'll get us some sales. Let's kill Which is what it is. Let's kill Superman. You're defending the death of Superman in this context, though? It happened. I'm not defending it. It's well, just a fact of life. Okay. But no, the difference now is that even when... First of all, when Superman died... Okay. This okay. was... It had not been done before. Okay. Marketing people or, you know what? Company heads deciding uh, on a line approach. Let's kill Jean Grey. Jean Grey should die. Okay. She's that, been dead for like... No, no, no. I'm saying during the original Morrison. Phoenix saga. That, the no, no, that no, wasn't no, the decision no, 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 by the writers. No. That was the head of the company saying, well, you can't let her live. Yes. Literally. But the Phoenix storyline in its entirety was not... And in fact, this is something that Chris Claremont talked about in his uh, recent interview with Jane Miles on Jane Miles Explained the X-Men. He said, yes, the Dark Phoenix suicide specifically was mandated by, I think it was Jim Shooter? I believe so. Or, prob- or maybe the one before him. I don't know. But the length of the story was still theirs. This It was something that grew organically precisely because nobody cared about X-Men back then. Look, it's the desperation that annoys me here. It's the fact that these... Again, this is the first issue. So The first issue ends with him saying Hell Hydra. So it's like, okay. First issue you, often... You're quoting... Yes. I'm sorry. First issue often ended on the cliffhanger when Brian K. Vaughn ended the first issue of Ex Machina with the big, oh my God, the Twin sure. Towers are there. You didn't say it's desperation. You didn't say it's just... For because he didn't market the book on saying there's the Twin Towers still standing. Well, that wasn't the, in the promo material. Spencer is not responsible for the marketing. Spencer is responsible for the writing. Spencer is putting together the premise. The, the problem here is that it's becoming more and more transparent that these story beats are almost completely See, designed. Like, if it's a good story, that's sort of a happy byproduct now. The first and foremost priority is let's get the internet pissed off, right? Let, or mm-hmm. as Joe Quesada says, let's break the internet in half. Right? That's what they well, want. Well, I agree. And, and I, it's again, so exhausting. I agree, I agree with that to a point. But... It's it, exhausting. It and really again, is. And the difference for me between this and the Watchmen thing is that Captain America is a corporate-owned character. And, and has been for years. And I, he's gone through some really weird yeah, phases. Let's be and honest. And again, Cap Wolf, uh, 
the nomad st- with the stripper uniform. The superior sure. stratagem when he, when he was turned into a woman for five minutes. Sure, sure. Superior stratagem? That wasn't... Like, he was look, dead. Look at how... Several times. But look at the difference in execution between how Brubaker pulled it off versus how Spencer pulls it off. And how these stories are perceived oh, in completely see, different then, ways. But here's the thing. The death of Captain America was also publicly met. Publicly but it met. was well written. It, it was came, well... It but happened at the culmination that had been going on for 25 issues. Yeah, but it happened because Civil War happened, not for any other reason. Brubaker would have done it eventually anyway. I don't know. He said that he was building towards it, and he, like the circumstances might have been different. It wouldn't have been like, oh, Tony Stark got him arrested, and then yeah. he ends up... It would have been something else. But like they were clearly aiming towards Bucky becoming... Captain America. And then he became not Captain America again. Sure. All of that is valid. Bru- because Brubaker knew, just like Spencer and knows, that the status quo comes back. But there is a difference between acknowledging that the status quo comes back and between saying, as a precondition for you accepting that this story is even happening in the first place, you have to be aware that the status quo is coming back. Busiek's way of diffusing anger at the story is to point out how inconsequential it is. To which I say, okay, but then, I mean, music doesn't work for Marvel, so he doesn't yeah. have a, a, a dog in this race, so to speak. No. It's like, you're shooting yourself in the foot by creating marketing gimmicks that you know are not sustainable. It feels like they're panicking. It really uh, does. It feels well, like they are willing to feels- do anything to shock their audience. But for me, audience. Marvel is panicking and, uh, you know, gimmicking up the audience for years now, if not decades. And... Turning Nick Spencer, who writes, you know, a story with a big cliffhanger. You don't even like Nick Spencer. What are you doing here defending him? Well, (laughs) I like his superhero work most of the time. I don't like his personal own things, but like I said, superhero for the Spider-Man. Great. Great comic. But what has he done for us lately? Ant-Man is good. Is it? Yes. I wouldn't know. Well, I'm telling you. With the words from my mouth, I am telling you. And turning (laughs) poor Nick Spencer, who wrote a big end of issue reveal. But who's complaining about Nick Spencer personally? Oh, no, you, you are not on Twitter. No, okay, I'm not. You, on you, I'm not a follower of hashtags. But if there is not right now a thousand strong fire Nick Spencer, sure. but that's but we know that that's not valid. No, listen. If it hadn't been Nick Spencer, it would have been Charles Soleil. This wasn't something that Nick Spencer woke up it one might, morning. It might be Charles Soleil for all we know. <laughs> I feel that it's perfectly fair to say that there have been points in DC and Marvel's history Mm. where creative decisions were determined first and foremost by how can we make this a gimmick? The difference being that now it feels like that's all there is. It feels like there is no space. There's no room for organic storytelling anymore. My answer to that would be, I think it's always been like this. It's just because of this is the media agent. Because you and I are now more mature than we have been when we were kids. We are just now more aware of it. I don't think anything changed. I really don't. Well, we'll have to disagree on that point. Let's uh, talk about some positive news. So get away from all these Kardashians movie and news? Honey Boo Boo. Let's get into some movie news. Okay. So there were a bunch of casting announcements for Thor Ragnarok. Yep. There were a bunch of good casting announcements for Thor Ragnarok. Say what you will about the Marvel movies. They know how to cast them. Oh my God, do they. So Which, which God is it? Mm, so Kate Blanchett has been cast as Hela. Makes sense. Tessa Thompson will be appearing as Valkyrie, which we knew. Who is she again? She was the person uh, they announced at the same time that they announced that Natalie Portman was leaving. So hmm. was she being No, but who is she as in she was in anything actress, I've known? Uh, not anything that I'm familiar with. Okay. But, you know. Okay. Uh, 
Carl Urban is Scourge the Executioner. We uh, love Carl Urban. We do. We yes, do. we do. Carl Urban is great. Officially, yes. that's a sign of approval from the smorgasbord. Yes. He can have fake wings, bleached hair, and a diaper, and be Cupid on Xena, and still be awesome. So, yes. Well, I like the fact that you bring these things first and then say Cupid and Xena as if... That's where you started. No, no, as if somehow he wore a diaper, had wings, and was blonde separately from Xena. <laughs> as if it no, was he something... Was, I say that because he was on Hercules too, but I try not to give that show any kind of attention. <laughs> More importantly, he was Judge Dredd in... He was Dredd, Judge Dredd. In Dredd. McCoy. Now, I keep on saying that in 2012, the single greatest comic book movie was Red, and this yeah. was the year where we got both the Avengers... And Dark Knight Rises, mm. for me it's Dread, and Ghost Rider Spirits of Vengeance, the movie where uh. Nicolas Cage <laughs> pisses fire. No. That's okay. a stiff competition. No, that we can we can sweep under the rug. No, I'd say Avengers, Dread, Rise. For, for me, Dread. But, okay. Yeah. Tremendous movie. I'm very happy to see him in, in anything. universe. Uh, always fun to have him around. And here's an interesting thing. Jeff Goldblum has been cast as the Grand Master, and I have legitimately mixed feelings about this. Because on the one hand, Jeff Goldblum in a Marvel movie. I don't know who's doing the casting for these movies. Is it Kevin Feige who's running around with like Pokeballs just snatching everybody's favorites and bringing them to the studio? Because I don't know how they're doing this, but they're doing it. But on the other hand, it's the freaking Grand Master... You know, like the blue skin guy. Well, who's it's probably like it's probably gonna be like a guest appearance. Games, like, and yeah, like the it's gonna be like the collector in the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's gonna be I there for five so. minutes and, and like you know, put on some outlandish costume and be like, the games have begun. Well, it's Jeff Goldblum. It's gonna be <laughs> the game uh, uh, has begun. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I but, love it. But good castings. The, the big problem, like we've talked before the podcast, is that now I'm automatically forced to scourge the executioner. I want him to win. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm sorry, Chris Hemsworth is fine at Thor. Carl Urban is better at anything. Wouldn't it have been interesting? Well, no, he, I don't think he could have pulled off Thor. Because mm. he was not... Where was he not so great in the Lord of the Rings movies? It was sort of like, yeah, he's there. Mm. But, you know, the, the, I guess it was the role that didn't give him a lot to do. Yeah. But it was sort of like, eh, you know. As Dreddy was amazing. Mm. Also, Mark Ruffalo has been confirmed as the Hulk. Well, so this is going to be a Hulk Thor team up. Well, who else was going to be? They got, they've stopped recasting the Hulk. Hopefully, no. I think they found we like, don't, the we, one we, that works. We don't finally. need another Hulk. And one other casting announcement, not for mm. Ragnarok, but for Spider Man Homecoming. Michael Keaton has been cast as the Vulture for Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? That's an interesting choice. The Vulture was meant to be the villain in the Never Produced Spider Man Four by Sam Raimi. Mm. That's what he wanted. It does, when you choose the Vulture, if he's the main villain, it does bring to mind a very much an old school, you know, lighthearted, fun tone, because I don't think you're going to do a dark, grim, and gritty story with no. old man with, a, with wings. And that's the thing that really... He's mostly, he's mostly a punchline villain for, for a long, long time. Now, it's not to the is level... Is he the one who, like, drains youth from people? For, for a time. I think they stopped with it. Now it's okay. like a mean old man, I believe. Oh, which, Waldorf and Statler with wings. Well, Michael Keaton is not that old, you know. They, I, they might have gotten that idea from Birdman. Mm. Mostly now he's a comedy villain, but it's not to the level of something like, say... It's not Stiltman. Stiltman, though, that would yeah. be interesting. Uh, previews? Shall we go on? Let's go on to August previews. Uh, Marvel is still in Civil War 2. I got... Okay. I, I, I've got two things, but you can go ahead. So, again, Civil War 2, I have nothing, nothing, nothing. But mm-hmm. there are two points of interest here, neither of which is a recommendation. First is Marvel Sum Sum number one. 
The what? I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Marvel Tum Tum Number One. Okay. This is a four-issue miniseries by Jacob Chabot okay. and David Baldeon. Tum Tums are apparently huge, cute, and cuddly, according to the solicitation. It's some kind of game from Japan. Okay, so it's like the Marvel Discourse anime that's still I think it's running. More like Rise of the Imperfects. Mm-mm. Well. There was, I think, one of uh, Jeff Parker' first work was the Marvel uh, miniseries where they all have giant power armors, giant robots. No. Marvel Megamorphs. Oh yes, oh yes. I, which was, you know, in Wasn't that McKeever? Maybe. Sean McKeever. I think it was one of one of no no. Surely, there was Rise of the Im- no 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 Rise of the, the Imperfects was uh, giant robots. No, the Imperfect was the video game crossover with a beat em up that nobody ever played. Yeah, and that was by um, what's his face who does who right now does an incredible awesome Hulk, Greg Pak. Yeah, right. It, yeah, it was Greg, was Greg Pak. So and nobody liked it, but it no. it was you know it was do it will pay. No, but you. I remember Rise of the Megamorphs. Ooh. No, 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 not Rise. Or just the, the Megamorphs. Marvel Megamorphs, which was very fun. It was stupid fun. It was Captain America, the Hulk. Ghost Rider and Wolverine and Spider-Man Riding giant robots that in, exactly in giant like robots, transforming giant robots. And it was so funny because it was self-aware to the stupidity. So at one point, Captain America is knocked out and Spider-Man is like, oh my God, now we're the new Fantastic Four again. And everybody's looking <laughs> like, what? I'm not the only one who remember that. Oh God. That was, a, okay, whatever. So, so now there's yeah. some thumbs. Yeah. Which are not giant, not, neither robots, but are apparently cute and cuddly. Whatever. Uh, what else you got? Um, the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Beats Up the Marvel Universe. Original uh, graphic novel by Ryan North and Herika Anderson. It's the creative team of uh, Squirrel Girl doing, a, I guess, a parody version of the Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, Punisher Kills the Marvel which Universe. Which was itself a parody of the, the Punisher Kills the Universe. Which it's a very popular thing right now, so you know why they okay. do it. We've talked about Squirrel Girl earlier in the podcast, and it's like, it's fun. It might be a bit too fun for me. It's like... You're pushing the cuteness, jokiness yeah. a bit too much. I like her more as a guest star in other people's books, but, you know, good for them. Sure. It's, I mean, listen. It's nice to see that this series, which is so different from anything else that Marvel is doing, is getting At least its, due. it's not Civil War. Oh, yeah. Like, at least that. Mm, One uh, other point of interest from Marvel is only that uh, Darth Vader is coming to an end with issue oh. 25, mm-hmm. Kieran Gillen and Salvador Larocca. Unfortunately for Kieran Gillen, they quickly mentioned that he would be doing something else for Marvel, so he's not quite free yet. Well, he wants to do something else. And apparently it's not, again, it's not a Marvel U thing, so it's either... Either Icon is still alive somehow, somewhere. He would just take it to Image and oh, yeah, yeah, I assume. Or it's another Star Wars thing, because what other... <laughs> thing Marvel owns. They have the Disney rides every once in a while, you know, your uh, Max ride, your Haunted yeah. Castle graphic novels, but I don't think Gillen is there. No, that would be hard for me to believe. Well, stranger things have happened. Two graphic novels I want to mention. Okay. Uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot Volume 0, Bite and Bark. This is the complete recent Rocket Raccoon and Groot miniseries and series. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, Scotty Young's Rocket Raccoon 1 through 11, Groot okay. Run Through 6, and Guardians of the Galaxy Tomorrow's Avengers. I can speak for both of those and say that they were really good. Yep, uh, 400 pages, $35, which for Marvel is dirt cheap. Yeah. Marvel would usually publish it as, you know, four separate trades, $20 each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd the, recommend that. the odd thing, the really, really weird, Doctor Strange, Strange Origin TPB, Okay. which is a, just a rebundle of Doctor Strange Year One by Greg Peck and... Uh, there was a Doctor Strange Year One. And not Year One, uh, Season One, you, you remember the... 
Yeah, like graphic it, novel. I, I just didn't know they made it to that. Okay. No, no, it was by Greg Peck and Emma Rios, so, you know. It, Pretty. Uh, odds are it would have been good, because, you know, Greg Peck, once he broke out of the video game adaptation mold, turned to be a very decent writer. Uh, bundled with, for some reason, the first issue of Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalow's current Doctor I'm Strange sorry, run. did you say the first issue? Yeah. Just number one. What? Why? The first issue ends on a cliffhanger. What the hell are you even talking about? <laughs> Why not just re-solicit Doctor Strange Season 1? Oh my god. And if what? the name doesn't appeal to you, just call it Doctor Strange The Origin or Doctor Strange Year 1. Why would you add in... Anyway, it's $20. <sighs> Whatever. Don't. Don't. What? Oh, 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 oh. One other thing. Something that I've been waiting for. Oh. Mini Marvel's The Complete Collection by uh, Chris Gierusu and others. This is a collection of all the tiny comedy strips that used to run in, in between pages of Marvel Comics in the late 90s, early 2000s. I remember those. These were hilarious. The, the little kids in the kindergarten? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I love those. These were cute. A yes. cute, B funny, C How excellent. much? Uh, it's 216 pages, 25 bucks. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I love those mini Marvels. Oh, they're yeah. so adorable. Little baby Thanos would show up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, re- I really like their treatment of Hawkeye, which was like this, you know, dejected guy who nobody gave respect to. <laughs> He's like, I need superpowers. Uh, yeah, I'm picking uh, that up. Okay. Uh, anything DC? from DC? Uh, just two points of interest. Mm. Uh, All-Star Batman number one by Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. with Danny Mickey and Declan Shelby. Notable not because it's an anthology title written by Scott Snyder, but because it's four ninety nine. Holding the line. How's what? that line looking, DC? <laughs> yeah. Four ninety nine. There it is. Forty. Pages. Not one month after their rebirth. And if you're a Hitman fan, which, which Tom, I am, are, oh, there's yeah. a follow-up to All-Star Section 8, uh, Six-Pack and Dog Welder, <laughs> Hard Traveling Heroes with a Z, number one. This is by Garth Ennis and Russ Brown. I'm, I, I really like Hitman. I like Garth Ennis. I'm not sure about Russ Brown because I'm so used to John McRae drawing these things. What do you think of All-Star Section 8? I have not read yet. I have not really read it because I read them in trades and DC's trade collection department is terrible. Yes, they are. I assume it's going to be funny, you know, it's a girth and his black humor comedy bits, which I like. Uh, Deathstroke number one, written by Christopher Priest, mm. with art by Carlo Pegliagan and Jason Pez. Mm. Mm. I See? like Priest, I like Deathstroke, one of the most overexposed, overused characters in the DCU. I have no ideas about the artist. I think that I need mm. to adopt a different approach with DC. I think what I need to do is to be like, you're launching this book. It seems interesting. Call me in a year. Hmm. If this book lasts 12 issues and is not derailed by crossovers or reboots or crises or whatever, then uh, maybe I'll I, think about Christopher it. Christopher Priest hasn't written a comic in a long, long it's time. It's been a while, but uh, he probably when, still has it. Yeah, when, when he had it, he had it. Yeah. Yeah. Lock stock. Uh, this one's for you, actually. I'm surprised you didn't note it. The DC Universe by, by Neil Gaiman, Deluxe Edition. This is all the odds, bits, and pieces by Neil Gaiman. Did he ever... It's Neil Gaiman's The DC Universe by Alan Moore kind of treatment. Listen, you know I love yeah. Neil Gaiman, but I don't go looking for his stuff in so, DC. Yeah, I now, want something, I'll there's, go, I'll go So the there's end. Secret Origin Special. There's uh, Batman... Uh, and oh, Detective Comics. No, the... no, I am not reading whatever happened to the Cape yeah. Crusaders again. Uh, not with the Batman jazz hands that turn into a baby that pull out the baby. Green out of Lantern the... and Superman: Legend of the Green Flame, which was the Action Comics forty-page special. The odd thing for me 
is that they're reprinting his uh, uh, metamorphic bits from Wednesday Comics by Why? Mike Alvarez. Now, this was actually a pretty good series, but the big problem is that Wednesday Comics, if you remember, the whole thing about it was that it was printed, I have it here on the shelf, in giant size. Yeah. And you were supposed to read it in giant size. So unless they're going to shrink the whole thing, which would make it nigh unreadable, because this... Or this worse, uh, bust up everything, everything and then it's like you're looking at... <laughs> do you really Do you really want to see Kevin Nolan that big? No, I don't. Um, Anything else from DC? Well, this one's thing that I've everybody always told me is great, but I've never read. Uh, JSA The Golden Age by James ah. Robinson and Paul Smith gets the hardcover treatment. I'll be completely honest with mm-hmm. you. You know how much I love Starman. I read The Golden Age. I can't say that it worked for me, mm. only because... It seems to rely on an amount of nostalgia that I just don't have. From what I understood, it's almost like a pre-Jeff Johns shock value to the Golden Age. Yeah. To the Silver Age. No, actually. no, it's a Golden Age. No, right. I'm saying like, you know, we'll take these things that were, you know, innocent and naive and we'll show you the true darkness oh, beneath. And that happened. The question is, do they do it properly? It's hard to... I mean, they mm. don't do it as blatantly as Johns does. Like, Johns mm. just doesn't care. He just does whatever he wants. I did feel like... You need to have some kind of attachment to characters like Dr. Midnight for you to mm. even get invested in what's going on in the story. Unlike Starman, where at least you had Jack as like Point the focalizer. Yeah. So it's like you're dealing with all of this, like let's go back to 1952, da, 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 but at least you're, you're seeing it through a contemporary mm. character. This one, not so much. Okay, and another thing to keep you good Girl and angry. Involved. Mm. And another thing to keep you good and angry. Oh, good, because I know how much you love me when I'm angry, yeah. <laughs> Watchmen Collector's Edition box set, $125. Mm, The F word word is on the tip of my tongue. You don't know how hard I'm trying to keep it in. A deluxe hard case holding 12 issues of Watchmen. So a reprint of the issues as issues. Why? $125? Why? For what? uh, Unless you actually have the original issues, in which case it's... It costs no. Uh, no. Uh, this wh- has to come with like a DNA sample yeah. from Alan Moore, so you can clone your own Alan Moore. That might make it affordable. <laughs> Screw this. Why would you? It's like there's the absolute edition, right? Yeah. There's the oversized artist edition. There's, there's the, the regular, regular trade, which yeah. is fine. So Dave Gibbons' art is fantastic. I don't know that you need to see it writ large, like on your entire coffee table. Mm. Just buy the trade. The trade is like, what, 20 bucks? Yeah. Come on. Still. Why would you pay $100 more for like a box? Does it come with the Watchmen toaster? Does it have the Watchmen? It's for homeless people to live in. Does it have the the script for Watchmen babies? See, if it actually contained the whole script for Watchmen, I might have been interested. The actual script? Yeah, but I would rather just to buy the script book. Because the arcane symbols might give you like Mm. nosebleeds though. Uh, Image? Sure. Uh, go ahead. Just let me point out that Image has started putting up their own preview books, downloadable for free on their own website. I That's am tasty. actually... I started uh, to subscribe to the Image Plus magazine. So, you know, it's $2 a month, so it's not expensive. And mm, it's not necessary, but it's fun, you know. Yeah. The only thing... I mean, mostly I w- It's mostly just because Brandon Graham has one page of comic talking about whatever <laughs> he wants to talk every every month. So the second issue is him... Starting to talk about the relations between uh, readers and writers and how, you know, writers shouldn't betray the treatment. And the example, he starts with Alien 3 as a betrayal. Oh, well. And then at, towards the end of the script, he chooses to talk about uh, the second Ewoks movie, The Battle for Andor. 
And he starts... Oh, to, my God. And are starting to cry. And he's like, oh, wait, what was I talking about? Which oh. is hilarious. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I'm um, sorry. No, that, that was... I mean, betrayal of a license, right? <laughs> uh, betrayal of an audience, too. The thing that I like about Images Preview Book is that they note where a story arc ends or begins. Oh, yeah. Which is really useful information to have if you read by arcs the way that I do. So, Kill or Be Killed, number one. This is by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. What can I say? They're back. Mm. I'm ready. Um, the odd thing is... Vigilante thriller. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They... You know, Brubaker in interviews and Phillips insist that this is completely different from anything that they ever did. And the first six issues were on Image Plus. It's not that different. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I, I've just this week, I've read the entirety of The Fade Out. Mm, it's, it's not bad because it's Brubaker no. and Phillips. And really, unless they try to, I don't think they can do bad at this point. It is a bit, you know, I think it's like, I'm more appreciative of Brubaker when he at least tries to do something. Like, Fatal, for example, oh, no, 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 is no, higher than No, the Fade Out wanted to do something. It just, it ended up sort of on a, on a intentionally low point, but it's so low as in, well, what you gonna do? You know, the system is corrupt. And yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. You're not telling me anything new. Like, we've seen, we've also seen the, yeah. the concept of like the corrupt system. Yeah, his many cr- times. His recent, their recent criminals one shots were better. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, speaking of which, uh, but there, still, yeah, Rue Baker and Phillips. No, we ju- we should just <laughs> mention the two recent criminal one shots. The ten year uh, anniversary fantastic. are are yeah are reprinted in a in a regular trade in book seven basically. Yes, yeah, so, and they're like fifty page each, so it's fine. You know, it's long enough, and you should buy it. Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> what else you got? Well, this is not for you. The Black Monday Murders by Jonathan Hickman and Tom Cook. <laughs> I. Old hope for it to be the Jonathan Hickman. Sorry, what was that? That was a cat hissing. The Jonathan Hickman that I like, the one who did the first half of uh, Manhattan Projects and East of West. And The Dying of the Dead. Well, this is the bad Jonathan Hickman for me. <laughs> I, I like him to a point. Okay. So you for keep it away from me. Out, we don't have to repeat it. It's fine. <laughs> I know, I know when to quit. So this is an alternative universe in which various banks are associated with black magic. Okay. So it's kind of like economy meets magic, which is an interesting idea. If nothing else, it is. The big question is: Can you play it intelligently? Can you? No. Do you have anything to say, or no. is it just you know beat him up? Yes. <laughs> I've answered your questions. Yes. <laughs> uh, Demonic number one. This is a six-issue mini by Christopher Sabella, Nico Walter, and Dan Brown. A New York detective sells his Dan soul. Brown? I hope it... I don't think it's Dan <laughs> no. Brown because he's on art. <laughs> yeah. If it were da- and yet there are demons in this book. So I don't know. That's an interesting question. Angels too? Uh, well, I, I, okay. I would not presume, but... Um, mm. So this is about a New York detective who sells his soul to demons to protect his family. Generic, okay. a bit generic, generic, yeah. generic. But you know, for a six-issue miniseries, because it doesn't, it depends on the execution. Yeah, it's it sounds a bit like a you know filler arc on Hellblazer. Yeah, John Constantine meets a detective who sold his soul. But, Start you know, playing the shell game again, with the again, again. It's all in the how you do it. Yeah, yeah. When it's I think the difference is that when it's a miniseries as opposed to an ongoing, it all depends on whether the characters are interesting, whether you have something going on mm. in there, just for the duration of those six issues. If you have that, then like you can coast on a familiar premise. Uh, Lake of Fire number one, yes. written by Nathan Fairburn with art by Matt Smith and Nathan Fairburn, who is usually a colorist. 
I think so. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he wrote anything before. He's a great colorist, you know, not if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So it's the Crusades and aliens invade. Let's unpack that for a second. It's An been alien do- it's, invasion. It's been done before. When the High Crusade, the novella. No, and there was a movie like two years ago called uh, Outlander about an alien who falls down to Earth during Viking times. Outlander, the TV show? No, 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 a different Outlander. Ah, uh, okay. So it, it's well, not overused, but it's it's not been overused. Done. It has been done, but well, at the same yeah, time, yeah. Like, I like the everything's been done, right? Nothing yeah. new under the sun, whatever. But you know, uh, I don't know Nathan Fairbairn as a as a writer. No, neither have I. Again, the first. Five, six pages were on Image Plus. It, it looks great. You know, it looks really, really what nice. What was your impression of the writing? I c- really can't get no impression from six pages. So maybe worth looking well into research, for the Well researched when it comes to historical clothing. Oh, well. well that's important. That looks good. Anything else from mm. Image? Well, I mean, I have a lot from Image, but stuff that we've already mentioned, so. Uh, I should mention something gets a reprint after a long, long time. Prince of Cats by uh, Ronald Wimbley, oh. which was originally published... By Vertigo and then disappeared down the drain. I remember that. Yeah. I have never read it. It got great reviews. And I remember the art looked stunning. Just right up my alley. Sort of Alexis Zirit mm. post-pop uh, introduction. Yeah. It was Loser's City's best comic of the 21st century, actually. That was their number one. Wow. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a shot. You know, okay. I've missed it when it came out. I'm going to give it a shot. Sure. Uh, by the way, the plot is this is a... Uh, Side take on Romeo and Juliet with uh, Tybalt as the main character in a post-pop, disco-ish, uh, hip-hop world. Why not? Sure. Dark Horse? I only have one item from Dark okay. Horse. Uh, world of Tanks, number one. This is a five... <laughs> oh, you laughing. This is a five-issue miniseries. I know what it is, yeah. By Garth Ennis and Carlos Esquera. It is a comic based on an online game called World of Tanks, which I have never heard of. And you know I know video games. So I assume I, tanks are involved. Tanks are involved in a world well, of some kind. My dream project of Garth Ennis doing a scorched video, uh, video adaptation is still not there. But, you know. I, I would like to know if... Like, are you a tank in this game, or are you driving a tank? Like, well, it's apparently people takes need to know. In World War Two, so I assume. Of course, it does. Garth Ennis is writing it. Where so would you I... think it would be the Crimean War? No. <laughs> what well, well, my point is, I don't think it's like cars. I don't think it's a literal war. <laughs> why not? It could be talking tanks. Sure, why not? And you like? Um, uh, actually, there it sounds. Some... I mean, the premise, the the solicitation text for the actual. It's, it's plot a bit generic. Sounds like every Ennis story ever written. It's an untested British crew inadvertently commands an unconventional Cromwell tank into France while hunted by a hardened German Panzer unit. We'll Ennis is like, oh, actually, but... there are several things from Dark Horse which I surprise you didn't mention. Like what? Uh Bendette Volume Three. The House of the Green Mask. Well, listen, at this point, you're either sold on Bandit or you're not. You don't need me to tell you well, it's good. Okay. Black Dogs, The Dreams of Paul Nash. This is a Dave McKean new graphic novel. Written and drawn. Um, about the life of, well, the artist uh, Paul Nash. I... Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big... I've never read Cages, so for me, Dave, the, he's the I guy... I Mirror Mask, yeah. and it wasn't... Well, for me, he's the guy who did uh, the... Batman comic with Grant Morrison, Arkham Asylum, which I hated. Well, no, I, I really mean, he hated did a lot movie. of really amazing Sandman covers. Oh yeah, Sandman covers were designed to be abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're reading them as narrative, it's just really weird. Another two big reprints projects from Dark Horse: mm-hmm. uh, the Mobius Library, which we've mentioned when they bought the licenses, is now coming up finally 
It's the 344 pages of Mobius art and story for $50 giant size hardcover. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is, is stuff that the English language uh, comic scene needed for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And something that I've always wanted to try and never had the chance before. Terminal City by uh, Dean Martyr is now entering the library oh. edition. Yeah. All right. 400 pages, 50 bucks. Hardcover. Uh, I think uh, Dark Horse is going to get a lot of my money in August. Sounds for old projects, but, uh, you know. I mean, listen, it's good that they have... Like a more they, thriving trade program. Oh, yeah, they have. Dark Horse back issue reprints are some of the best in comic book because, you know, I we're not big fans of the, most of the stuff they publish nowadays, but they have the Goon Library and they have the yeah. Massive Library and they have uh, one and of they the 50 take issues. Care to keep it in circulation. Yeah, and one of the 50 issues of Yusagi Jimbo, which is still, you know, ongoing reprints. Great stuff. Uh, anything else for you? Uh, I've got something from Boom. Yeah. The, the backstage oh, is number yeah. one. This is an eight issue miniseries by James Tinney and the Fourth and Veronica Fish. My understanding is it's a Lumberjanes derivative. Yeah, yeah. An all boys theater school with some kind of magical portal. It, it backstage. really looks like, you know, a Lumberjanes, the guy edition. And you know what? I would be quicker to dismiss it as just like the guy version of Lumberjanes. But I you like that. James Tinney. But I really do like Tinney, and he has a great way with characters. Young uh, characters specifically. Well, yeah. He did the woods. Also, he did, he's still doing the woods. The woods is still amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And again, like it's an eight issue miniseries. Now, since this is by Boom and it's aimed for the young audience, how long before it's announced as an ongoing? Gold Events has just been announced as an ongoing. Listen, James Tinian has also been publishing his trilogies at yeah. Boom. Cognetic, Mimetic, Cognetic. So listen, if they find like a, another ongoing mm-hmm. to give him, I say, get um, the job. IDW. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have several interesting things. The first for me is Jim Thompson's The Killer Inside Me, which is a five-issue uh, miniseries adaptation of the novel The Killer Inside Me, mm-hmm. written by David Ferrazzi. Is, wasn't that weird? Yeah, by... David Ferrazzi? Of Birth Movies Death. Yeah. Uh, He's huh. a journalist or something. Uh, well, he's a critic most of the time. He's yeah. a good critic. I disagree with him on everything. <laughs> and I still like re- and I still like reading his stuff, which is the mark of a good critic. Yeah. Can he do it? You know? And especially... Uh, IDW, well, let's put it this way. IDW's novel adaptations have not been the best of the lot. They're, you know, we've did their Sherlock Holmes uh, yeah. adaptation. Not very good. Their Drive... Also not very good. Yeah. Mm. The issue here is because... First of all, I mean, it's sort of a safety net in the sense that he's only adapting Mm. a novel. So it's not that this is original work from him. At the same time, if he does fail, I think... I can think of a lot of people who will be happy about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And be like, oh, here's the critic who, like, tripped up. Oh, it always it. happens when uh, critics try to, you know, throw their hands. Well, not in the game. always. I mean, Douglas no, no, seems to be No, no, well. no. When they succeed, yeah, but when they when fail. When they fail, it's just like, you know, ro- nobody not ever so forgave. Easy after all. Yeah, nobody it? ever forgave Roger Ebert for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> and he insisted it's a good work until the day he died. IDW Artist Edition, always a fine edition for your mm. house if you have the money. Chris Sumney's Daredevil. Okay. It's, it's beautiful. You know, From the way, Brian. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> unless he did something else, which I didn't notice. It's beautiful. If you have the money and the art appreciation, you know, go for it. Uh, anything else? Oh, in the comedy section, unintentional comedy section, X-Files Origin oh, by Jody Hauser and Matthew Dothmiss. This is a story of the children of child Fox Mulder no. and child yeah, Dennis no. Scully investigating. You know what I don't have time for? That. It, no. sound, it sounds like a Muppet Babies uh, comedy skit. 
It is a Muppet. What do you mean it sounds like? The childhood of Fox Mulder? Because we didn't hear him talking about that for ten seasons as it was with his sister mm-hmm. and the alien abduction? Oh, God, no. And uh, as something good to finish this up. Please. Uh, amazing Force to get to the TPB edition if you haven't... The for Ulysses Farinas, Eric Freitas... Uh, no, but this is a trade of all ten issues? Um, apparently... How many pages? 208. So, no, it's probably the first, like, six issues or something. Uh. Okay. Anyway, or or even a collection. It's a great series. It's a great. We review the first issue, and it just it keeps getting better because once you realize that the creators are playing with mood rather than certain stories, and, mm-hmm. and every issue is like one is a dark comedy, one is a tragedy, one is a downer, one is an upper. It's amazing. Yeah. Issue number three was it with the Watchmen joke, <laughs> oh which was <laughs> the greatest. I just oh my I just laughed out loud, which doesn't happen to me when I read comics. I just laughed and laughed. So it's an amazing work and a murder row of artists. Most of them, I've never heard about most of these artists before. Hopefully we'll all, hear from them more in the yeah, future. All of them are great. So for me, this is either Amazing Force or Island for best anthology on the market. And mm. the market has some a lot of anthologies nowadays. Which is it does, but they don't seem to be distinguishing themselves in terms of quality as well as Amazing yeah. Fantasy does, I think. Amazing Force. Amazing Force. <laughs> no, Amazing Fantasy. Amazing Fantasy probably distinguished itself, but unfortunately it's been gone for 70 years, so... Uh, shall we go to the reviews? Let's move on to the reviews. What do you want to start with? Uh, May? Sure. Uh, yes, may... you may. <laughs> may I begin with May number one, written and drawn by Jin Ha, with color assist by, what's her name? Uh, Jody McLean? See, I was about to say Belair, but then no, like, no, no, no way. No. This can't uh, be Jordy Belair. Uh, no. Okay, so the plot is this. Uh, when she was just a girl, Abby discovered a portal to a fantasy world, and for the last couple of years have been living great adventures there. Seven years later, she returns to her home world, where she meets her sister, May, who, and try to convince her that really she was a fantasy hero this whole time, but she doesn't know that there are dark forces behind her. So that's not the plot of this issue. Well, this is the plot. Of that's the plot of everything you don't see in this issue. <laughs> No, here's the here's the big thing. That's the plot of another comic book. Oh well, this is the plot of Birthright, and well, okay, okay. If we're gonna make that comparison, which we sort so, of have to, uh, we do have to. Mm. But here's the mm. differentiation. I think is the focalizer in this issue, the person through whose eyes we see the entire story unfold, is May, not yeah. Abby. Yeah, Abby disappears from the story. There's a cut. We go forward in time. We start with their childhood, and we know that Abby likes Abby to run. has been somewhere. May yeah. doesn't know where. In the future, May finds out that Abby has turned back up. Abby, she's been in prison. She shows up. She starts talking about all this crazy adventures that she's had in this fantasy world, and it's word bubbles and word bubbles and word bubbles and word bubbles, and then a hairy midget shows up. <laughs> and then she kills the hairy midget, or rather she fights him off, and then like he'll be back. And he's watching them now. And this hairy midget manages to convince everybody that everything that Abby has been talking about, but not showing at all, is true. Now, the contrast there is with Birthright, from the first issue, you had visual confirmation that there was some weird crap going on. Mm. Like, you see the fantasy world in the setup before you even get like well, to the I basics. Think, and now to be fair to Jin Ha, that this story was planned a long, long time ago. I remember there was a okay. Kickstarter, I believe. So it's not a ripoff. It's just, you know, two no, people no, coming no. up with the same idea. It, which as uh Bill Willingham notes in the origin in the foreword, 
the portal fantasy is an old genre, and the idea of doing the reverse, you know, you, no. you go in, you come back, is also, has also been done before. There's no the, reason to criticize him for, like, like we're making yeah. this comparison not to say that Birthright did it first, or but that they did it better. Better, yeah. And That's the only here's thing. Here's the thing, there is nothing to this story beyond, uh, to the first issue at least, beyond the, well, this is exactly what the description says, right? She goes, she comes back. Well, we don't even see her going come back. No, no. She, no. the I whole issue is she tells May that she went I, and, came and back. you know that's fine. But there is the first issue of uh, Birthright ended with a huge twist. Yeah, like whoa, and it was even, showing rather than and telling. even beyond the twist, it had the extra cool idea of the time worked differently. So now uh, the brother who left is a mature man, and in Earth it's only been like what two, three years. Mm-hmm. So the and even if you ignore that. And, if, even if you want to do it like a low-down story of, oh, she disappeared and now she comes back and it's a personal story, which is fine. I just don't get the relations here. Her sister has been gone for seven years and their meeting is almost like, oh. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, where have you been? It's like, she's been gone since you were kids. Yeah. C-c-c-. So, by the way, dad's in the hospital. Oh, that sucks. And uh, let me tell you about and, my and, magical and, cat. And, yeah, yeah, and like... This is you. You invite her to a beer. You know, call the hospital. Call a shrink. She's obviously being. If if it happened to me, if my brother has been disappeared for seven years, comes back and talks about magic, I would say I would you know call help, call professional services, no, something. And and it works like on the flip side too, because when she like you know her father has been hospitalized with diabetes and she's been taking care of him, and like Abby does not re- she like oh that's sad. And let me tell you about my time as now, queen of the tribe. Now, of now, the- see, and this I could buy as like, she's been distant from, you know, humanity for so long. And it's not played that way. Yeah. Though. It's not, it could be played well. It's not. And I can't believe that I say it on a Jin Ha project of all things. It's not very pretty, is it? Um, it's, it's functionary, but nothing more. It has a certain stylistic approach that I think is Ha trying to appeal to a specific audience. He's very consciously targeting the, the younger girl audience. Abby's Abby's like, costume is cosplay ready. Sure, and there's like the the way that the eyes are shaped. It's a little anime style. Uh, the a co- the bit. coloring really doesn't work for me. It makes everybody sort of rubbery looking. Yeah, and again, it's odd for me because Chin Ha is a great artist, and I think there's the style that he's going for. It's just not his thing because he's all about you know exact de- top ten was all about you know exact oh. details and perfect proportions, and you have these characters who have, you know, perfectly proportioned bodies and you put this big head with giant eyes on yeah. them and just... It reads like he's trying to... Work against his own style. Work against his own style for the sake of, like, appealing to another market because, like... And, you know, that's I don't fine. know. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I, I think he should have not... just hired a different artist then. Probably. Or... Not, not that the script is that good either, though. Like, it yeah. would have been ideal one way or the other. Like, either get a different artist... I, because I can sort of, I can sort of imagine it as a, you know, Kaboom miniseries, uh, drawn by one of yeah, their, I guess. and if, if this was drawn by one of their, I wouldn't say house artists because they don't have any, but their people who work in the Kaboom style, the charm of these, uh, you know, more cartoonishly enjoyable series often carries stuff that is rather thin on plot. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Many Kaboom series feels like a graphic novel chopped down. Sure. But it, if it has enough charm, you could carry it. And this doesn't. Yeah. And it's like the reason that it doesn't is also it commits sort of the cardinal sin of storytelling, which is that... Show, don't tell, the opposite. In order for you to clue into the supernatural aspect, like the fantasy angle of the story, you have to take as given... Everything that Abby says is true without any evidence until the midget shows up. 
And then it's like, well, you could have done that any any way you wanted, though. Like, it didn't have to... It didn't have to be conveyed in a single dialogue. In which Abby is like, I haven't seen you in seven years. What reason does she have to even, yeah. you know? I wasn't, you know, super looking forward to it, but I thought it would be better than this. So did... I mean, Gene has been around for long enough to know better, I think. Yeah, I have never read... I don't think he's written anything. He was an artist. And like the solicits say... Four-time Eisner Award winner. Yeah. So, you know, he should know. Fair enough. Mm. I, I will not be coming back from Mark. No. Right. Uh, Archangel number one from IDW, written by William Gibson. The, art by Butch Geis. The William Gibson. And uh, cover art by Tololate. All right. So, this is five-issue miniseries. Again. Yeah. Uh, shall I introduce this? Yeah. From fantasy to science fiction, this is a science fiction story. And we start in an alternative uh, 2016, where a corrupt president, uh, whose name I cannot recall, pretty much... Does it matter? Like, Yeah, yeah he dis- they destroyed the world, you know, <laughs> I don't know, the nukes are flying, the environment is, is gone to hell, whatever. Henderson? Could it have been Henderson? Something so, like... Sounds, like, something that sounds gene- so gene- generically American, yeah. that like, you have no idea where he's president from. President Bob Smith. Exactly. Yeah. And he decides to use a time machine to sort of take over a different strand of history. He tries to jump back into the body of his... Not into the body, into the... He tries to take the place, place of his grandfather. Yeah, he changes... He uses cosmetic surgery, futuristic cosmetic surgery to change his face and takes the place of his grandfather. was also a president, right? Yeah. Right. Well, no. His grandfather was a military leader during World War II. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, I can understand and, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Because it's better explained in the back of the issue <laughs> in the post-matter than in the actual issue. But, and anyway, things mess up. One of his uh, scientists tries to stop him. She's like, no, you're going to destroy the world again. And she oh, tries... she's smart. She waits until he leaves and yeah. then she sabotages yeah. him when he can't do anything Yeah, and about she it. tries to send her own people, like, to, again, to World War II to stop him before he does anything critical. But they literally crash into uh, Allied airplanes... And they arrive at the end of the war, right? When I think so. Ni- it's 1945, yeah. and from what we see, at least the European theater is done and done with. Yeah. I think they the notes sort of hint that uh, they still fight with Japan. Yeah, because uh, they are mm. the Allies are occupying Nazi territory. Yeah. Y- Europe in Europe has been won, so, but World War Two is still yeah. ongoing. It's after the fall of, of Berlin, basically. Mm. Okay, so well, what do you think? Well, talking about chopped up for publication, this is obviously a graphic novel that's been just, you know, clacked. Uh, Which I can understand from Gibson's perspective because he's not a comic book writer. So nope. it's easier for me to believe that he wrote this as a treatment. Yeah. And then gave it to IDW and they were like, okay. Yeah. More money that way. Yeah. That's I mean, valid, I guess. <laughs> it's valid from their point, from my point as a reader, it's like, no, give me a story, give me nothing. It seems a bit rote, doesn't it? It's again like like mate, like yeah, it's the it's a generic idea done rather generically. That's like you can have a generic idea and have exceptional execution, but yeah, here unless uh, unless the whole thing, you know, when you read it in one is like, oh it's amazing and unlike May, I can still sort of believe that if I read the entirety of the series he has some clever idea because I'm not a big William Gibson fan. I really I've read like Neuromancer twice. And every single time I was like, really? That's it? That's... I wouldn't call myself a fan, but I enjoy his work. And he's usually more clever than that. You know, he, he is. He doesn't, he doesn't do 
generic science fiction. He's not one of these writers. Which this absolutely is. Like, it's a story about traveling back in time to 1945. How much more generic could you possibly be? Yeah, the idea is very much like Robert Heinlein, uh, back of the draw, well, amazing stories should publish something this month. I don't know. I I don't know what I was expecting. the, the The problem is that this is obviously meant to be a graphic novel, and as a graphic novel, it could be something ama- not amazing, but at least original. But no, from this but, issue, there is nothing there. But hang on. Let's assume that this was the first chapter of a graphic novel, right? Yeah. You're reading this first chapter. Your impression of it, though, like the thing that struck me here was how completely like paint by numbers it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, like Even if this were a complete graphic novel... And there's some kind of brilliant plot twist that happens in issue four or issue five or whatever. I'm like, okay, but you're still starting out with like one of the most rehashed, tired, just like utterly boring and unimpressive premises, which is like the idea of going back in time to World War II and changing the future in order for your well, at least they're to... not trying to kill Hitler. Um, this is a that th- will come up. No, because Hitler is dead. Yeah, but there's time travel. Who even knows? And then, like, the time traveler has been injured and doesn't remember what they're supposed to do. Do you know what this reminded me of? What was the name of that Raphael Albuquerque uh, uh, eight? series? Uh. Eight. Well, but like, uh. Eight had an edge over this because it was actually, like... It time- had dinosaurs. Well, it had dinosaurs, but also, like, when they time travel, so you don't time travel to freaking World War II. Enough with the World War II already. I know that William Gibson belongs to the oh, previous so, generation so of So you've writers. not read the complete Eight, right? Oh the, God! The, World War Two? Uh, the bad guy was a time traveling Nazi. Yeah. Uh, uh. Okay. So first of all, yes. Now you see that I didn't make it to the end there. <laughs> Second of all, of course, it's I don't. Also, IDW. Why not go back? To it's not. Vietnam. It's not. It's it's not nice to publish uh, a fifty-page comic book and then twenty-five of the pages is back matter. Well. No, 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 no. Don't, don't reason, say we give you 50 pages. No, no. The only reason that I'm justifying it in this specific instance, yeah. and only in this instance, is because I know for sure that people would be interested in an author like Gibson coming into comics and giving, like, the breakdown of everything that, like, how does a novelist who, let's be completely frank here, like, I may, I like the guy, but his heyday was 1980-something, right? So he comes to comics, to a completely different medium, and I sure I would love to see the thought process. Of Apparently, the how, thought process is Butch guys will take care of it. No, there's a lot of his uh, his comments there and his breakdown. Dramatic yeah, but it's comments. not it's nothing special. Special, no. Mm. But I think that that's uh, now, what people would be interested. Now, in. I will give this one over Mia because Butch guys art here is better than Jinha. Yeah. I've never appropriate you know, to the genre. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge Butch guys fan, but he knows his stuff. Yeah. He knows what he's good at, and he's doing it. It's competent. Yeah. You know, well, that's insulting when you say no, it's competent. Because I would have expect, I did expect so much more from like the father of cyberpunk, and not necessarily saying that like this archangel should have been cyberpunk and like you might as well just play in your real house. But I'm saying, okay, if you are coming to this new medium, why was your first thought not let's do something they haven't seen before? Because Garth Ennis. Is still telling fifty thousand World War Two tales without any time travel. So why did we have and, to go back? And he's done his research. Yeah, it's it's just not. It's kind of a letdown. Mm. Uh, our last number one, right? Shall Here we, we do? Go. Oh Fu- God! Oh uh, God! Future Quest, do it. Number one. Just yank the bandaid off, please. Written oh. by Jeff Parker, art by uh, Ivan Doc Shaner. 
So this is a team up between the various Santa Barbara oh uh, action hero block. Uh, so in this first issue we have the Johnny Quest team. We no, have... the first issue begins with an alien apocalypse yeah, yeah. and a lone okay. survivor killing Cthulhu monster that slaughtered all of his friends. Johnny Quest, ladies and gentlemen. Johnny Quest and then Birdman and Space Ghost. <laughs> oh my Ghost. god! Harvey Birdman shows up here and I'm sorry I can't... Fighting see... and fighting the evil doctors in because you, do, you oh. need an evil doctor. Listen, I cannot see Harvey Birdman anymore without thinking of Rick and Morty. It's just not gonna happen. He's not Harvey it's Birdman. He's just done. Birdman. I know, but that's it. Like that's the that's, this, this is how because when we talked about this in the previews, I said I don't think anybody can take these characters seriously now because everybody knows them only as the parody version. You know, Space no. Ghost is Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Yeah, Birdman is Harvey Birdman. But involved. they also would if they know. Like and Johnny they, Quest, they know it through Venture Brothers. Yeah, exactly. Like, Everybody only knows them through the comedy version. So I thought, and you said, no, 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 there are still people with nostalgia for the original incarnation of these characters. And here you are thinking of them just as comedy bits, and I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I dug this. My problem here is that it's, it's really weird what Parker's doing. And like, look, Parker is weird? usually, yeah, Parker is usually, he knows how to use nostalgia properly. Oh, yeah. I'm reading this issue and I'm like, okay, I'm watching Johnny Quest and Haji flying around with jetpacks. Then Harvey Birdman shows up. Shows He's just up, right? Birdman. No, it's Harvey Birdman. Attorney at law. <laughs> and, and then Space Ghost shows up at the end screaming, I will destroy you. Yeah. Now, the problem here is that, and I know that Barker knows this. You have to know this. Yes, you're saying like the comedy versions have imprinted themselves on American consciousness For decades now. To want to go back to a time before that, when there was ever a chance that you could take the sight of Space Ghost appearing in front of you and screaming, I will destroy you, as a last page cliffhanger, you would have to, at the very least, start from the, like, build them back up from scratch. Parker doesn't do that. Johnny Quest and Haji turn up here as if they had been like this all along. In Medias Ross. But they haven't been, Right. To throw Harvey Birdman into like the splash page where he's flying off to be a secret agent. I'm like, okay, if you're not going to do the groundwork to prepare us for this being a different version, change like a visual detail, something. Like give some kind of indication that we're not supposed to immediately think of Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, or Space Coast, Coast to Coast, where he's sitting there and like... He's in a classic superhero pose yes, the last yes, page, yes. like with his hand held out and screaming. Like, okay, know. here's the thing. And I'm like, this is, that's not Space Ghost though. That's not, if you wanted to create some kind of identification with like the original version of Space Ghost that could be taken seriously in that concept, cause there's no humor here. This is not a humorous. No, book. but it's not super dark, serious, it's, gritty. Book. Nobody loses any limbs. Like nobody gets decapitated. It's not a Jeff Johns. Doc Shaner draws it, so you yeah, know it's but bright. It's, it's bright and it's colorful, but it's not. It's not the Venture Brothers. No, right? it's not that level of humor. So to just throw us into the deep end. And okay, be, see, this is like because like, when Scooby I, Apocalypse happened. Listen, I, I loathed I, it, but I haven't I, read it. You've read it. Oh my god, I did. Mm-hmm. I read it. Yeah. But as horrible as it was, here's the thing. At the very least, uh, the, the redesigns for the characters give you enough of an indication that, okay, you know what? You have to create some kind of distance between the characters as you know them and the characters that are in this book because they're not the same. 
And here, it's like, you know, Haji is still wearing that ridiculous turban. Uh, Johnny Quest is still flying around with jetpacks on his back. Harvey Birdman has the exact, like, he's not wearing a suit. Calling him Harvey Birdman. He is Harvey Birdman, though. He's Birdman. He's Harvey, no, because if he's Birdman, then he's from Rick and Morty. And then he has oh, very interesting Oh, so he's from the Michael Keaton movie, whatever. <laughs> but that's the thing. Anyway, like, that's, you have that's to be a able, Birdman, no? I think it's, no, I think it's the Birdman in, in Harvey. It's not the, it's, whatever. Aren't you Rick and Morty now? Never mind. I mean, I like Never. Rick and Morty. We should review the Rick and Morty comics. It's very good, but not, okay. blah, 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 blah. but the issue here is just, I feel, and, and you know what, Parker, when he did Agents of Atlas. Yeah. He did that. Yeah. Why didn't he do it here? That's what Like, if did. there was ever a case for, for creating a separation in your readers' minds between what was and what you want to do, it's with frickin' Hanna-Barbera. Well, the agents of Atlas were pretty loyal, at least originally. But they, they had enough of a modern twist that, like, you didn't automatically go back and look for, like, Well, there is a modern know. twist here. Space Ghost was not the last remnant of a, oh. as far as I know, of an alien civilization, oh, Green God. Lantern-esque fighting Cthulhu. Oh, God. I mean, maybe he okay. was, and then on the talk show he just didn't talk about it. I don't know. We don't know. Okay, what now, I, I'm familiar enough with the originals to know what they've been. I, I saw some of the cartoons, you know, as a kid. Not many of them, because they weren't played here, but whatever. I... That might be part of my problem. I'm willing to see. Admit here's it. the thing: I, so, I grew up with that, and I know, I know these characters again only from the parody version. Okay, so my I'm, Cartoon Network used to do those. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, okay. Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, what have you? Yeah. Um, I like this. Now, this is as straightforward as straightforward can be. Yeah. Like you said, there is no attempt to play it up. And in my mind, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I would really prefer it to be like Tom Scioli's. Doing uh, intentionally retro avant-garde thing, exactly. But you know, I prefer Tom Scioli's to do most of things online. But that would have been the right approach here. I, I don't think so. It I feels th- like DC trying to turn Hanna Barbera into DC. No, no. See, I think it would have been the right approach for me. But if you can see the <laughs> Transformers versus GI Joe sales, I am not the majority. This one actually gets a lot of good reviews, and. It doesn't try to turn them into the DC universe because the DC universe, like we've mentioned before, is a screwed up dark place that can never be fun as long as the people up there are up there. Can you honestly say you had fun with this issue though? Yes. You know, it's not great. It, this is an old idea, but unlike the other old ideas that we've talked here, mm-hmm. this is performed competently. It's performed well. There is fun. There is action scenes. There are chase scenes. There are many characters and they are introduced. And we know what they do while they fight giant robots. Which is my definition of okay. of how to do a story. Well, listen, F- have I mean, them fight giant Jeff robots. Jeff Parker is a competent storyteller. Jeff I mean, Parker... He would have been competent no matter what he And did. Doc Shaner's art is great. Yeah. You I know, just don't understand, like... You know, I'm still there. Like. I, I would prefer... T- I would generally prefer, I think, a Jeff Parker-Doc Shaner team up on their own book... Not chained by we should introduce these characters and let there be no mistake. This is a Hanna Barbera team up book. There will Mitro will be there. Oh my god! We saw one of his shadows there. Oh my god! Mitro the Mighty will be there. Oh my god! If, uh, do you remember they had this, their version of uh, Moby Dick in which he was the hero and there were two kids? Yes. Oh my god! I, I sort of want to see Peter Watts writing this version of Moby oh. Dick. <laughs> The underwater predator, now a hero. Oh my god. No, oh. I don't think many people will understand that joke. I just, no, well, 
But then that's true of... That's why I've been like so mystified with this approach in general and this book in particular. Because it's, it's too like, straightforward? Who? No, it's like, you want to use the Hanna-Barbera characters? They have only appeared as parodies in the last... 15 years. I put it up to 20, actually. Because mm. even at the tail end of Hanna-Barbera, they were being used for comedic purposes. Yeah. Who are you writing this for? I, you know what I mean? Like, I, if think, you're, I think there's a place... For fun, retro action adventure comics done straight, not, not done in the Tom Scioli avant-garde, hey, let, let me play with the page structure. Sure, manner. but why not just have that be an original thing? Well, because DC doesn't believe in original things. Then and Jeff Park and Doc Shainer, bless his heart, he likes to draw these characters. You can see it. Yes. He wants That's to, the nostalgia it, and, coming and he through. He wants to do it. Now, I think that this could be, it's not yet. Obviously, it's not yet. It could be like, uh, the late lamented Darwin Cook, who also took stuff, old stuff, because nobody, nobody was begging for a spirit revival but anybody whose name is not Will Eisner. And or, he took, or Frank Miller. And he <laughs> took it and he made it his own while still doing the old bits, the old classics. Now, this is not there yet. But, to be fair, the first issue of The Spirit wasn't the greatest issue either. It took it, I think, two, three issues before it was like, oh, oh, I see what you're doing there. So, you know what? I'm with this series. Okay. I'm not saying I'm with it all the way through. It, I could drop off. I could drop on. But I think this is good. I just can't make the jump. I think mm, is my yeah, it's, there, I, there's, there's a jump needs to be and made. This, but this could... I mean, you brought it up and I think you're absolutely right. This could be a cultural problem. Because you're not... Because you're not as familiar with these characters as I am mm. from early childhood, it's easier for you to see them as more flexible like being able to fit be into, plugged into the different roles sure yeah. and, I, and i'm like i'm still calling him harvey birdman i can't call him yeah. birdman i can't like harvey birdman attorney at law is what it is huh? so this is going to sound conceited as hell but i'm quote unquote the target audience because i grew up with them what value does a nostalgia project have if you're marketing it for people who don't have the nostalgia? No, they're marketing right? to people who do have nostalgia. Yeah. And apparently, they're hitting up people outside of that market, which is good for them. Because, um, see, you're you, but other people like this. I've read tons of good reviews for it. I think no. it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. And you know what? Considering the other stuff we reviewed this day... <laughs> I'll concede that it's easily the best of the three, but I do think that... Best of the four, I'd say. Oh, well, we'll get to that. But I, I will say that, interestingly enough, what they all might lack in common, like what they all don't have, is ambition. Like, I, when we're thinking about May as not being able to, like, go all the way and show this fantasy world that Abby went to, or when we're thinking about William Gibson using, like, this tired time travel to World War II thing, and now here, when it's, like, it's Johnny Quest... I think there... I think at this point, trying to revive these characters as straightforward action heroes, there is some ambition there, because, like you said, they're trying to make a big jump in, in the audience consciousness. I don't know if you remember. I, I don't think you do, because... Like, comparatively... The, there was an attempt in the mid-2000s to revive Space Ghost in... In comic book, no, no, not, oh, not read. Oh, the Alex Ross thing, which yeah. nobody read, and the people who read, which were nobody, nobody liked because it did work then, yeah. and now it does seem to work. So there is a jump to do there. Can you take something that is a joke and remind people to take it seriously? Neither the serious deconstruction, but is it? You remember when you enjoyed reading action adventure strips? Do you remember? Jeff Parker does. 
know, it sounds like an old commercial. Do you remember? Though I mean, do you remember? Theoretically speaking, it could work. Mm. The stumbling block that I have here, and I accept that a lot of people might not have it, is just that because these characters are so fixed in a very, very specific milieu. Every time someone tries to pull them out of it, it could end up... I mean, look, the difference here is like what isn't happening in Future Quest is what Wade did with Archie. That's the level of change you need to have when you're taking mm. on a property that is so familiar and ingrained, but you want people uh, I to agree. access it's, it's it. Not, it's not quite Archie or yeah. Gem and the... Or the gem and or the gem. I mean, yeah. listen, we've talked about the differences between mm. Gem, the show, and Gem, the... Now that I think about it, yeah, I, I would prefer IDW take on it. Again, their Transformer yeah. stuff, their G.I. Joe stuff. If you can do that, you're doing something that the original could not have done, right? I'm not convinced that Parker is doing that here. Like, the change isn't drastic enough for me to say, okay... Let's take Harvey Birdman and Space Ghost Coast to Coast and, and, and the, the Cartoon Network parodies of Johnny Quest where he would end up in a fight with, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Foxy Brown from Drawn Together. Yeah. Just take all that, sweep it under the rug and let's do something new. This doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like it's... It's sweep it under the rug and let's do something old. Yeah, cause like Shaner's art is amazing, but it's also not reinterpreting anything. Like Space Ghost on that last page. Is space code. is like to a T, right? They copy his exact appearance. So why, you know, like you're you're triggering that that mental image, but it's the wrong mental image. It's the association you don't well, want for, your readers you. to have. For me, it's one of. The, I think it's one of these projects. Which is I think so, people are just relieved that DC is publishing something that doesn't make you want to slit your wrists. And we know it's not going to be <laughs> Doctor Manhattan is not going to be the ancient evil here. Give them time. Give them no. It's Doctor, Earth. It's Earth. Two thousand twenty. It's not going to be Doctor Manhattan. The real villain will be Grant Morrison, who will show up at the end of Future Quest number two to be like, "Don't read this comic." You're bitter. I am, but I think I have reason to be. Speaking of Grant Morrison, bitter. <laughs> See what you did there. See, I set you up for that, and you went with it. Well done. Uh, our trade review is not a trade, but it's still a big, long chunk of comics and a significant one. Heavy metal number two hundred and eighty. Which, wow, there are actually comics that reach these numbers nowadays. I mean, listen, 2080 is what? 1,970-something. 1,980 nowadays. They're about to hit issue 2000, yeah. basically. We'll review that. Oh, yeah. Make no oh, doubt yeah. about it. It's the it's the big issue because this is Grant Morrison becoming the editor, which was talked about last year at length. And this issue gives you over 100 pages Mm. Uh, about 80% of it is comics. There are interviews and, you know, pictures and Articles stuff like that. But, you know, for $8. And I actually have the print edition for... It's printed on a big, glossy paper. So you get your money's worth and more, if nothing else. Yes. And this is written and drawn by murders of artists. We have Morrison himself. We have Anki Bilal, Ryan Friere, Hugo Petraeus, mm-hmm. Anna Cornum. Names new and old. Yeah. And yet. And yet. Well, let's start with no. some background. What is okay. heavy metal exactly? It's an anthology series that feels like it really doesn't belong in 2016, right? I had never read the actual heavy metal, but, you know, the reputation of it, it's... Boobies. <laughs> well, yeah. It's the American version of, of the French take on doing uh, fantasy genre and science fiction genre. Basically, if Boris Veljar's art could move, would be heavy metal. I mean, is what it is. Let's be completely honest here. That's again. That's and reputation. Not having read it, I don't know. I have read. You quite... seen the films? Uh, well, yeah. Okay. 
So now I have read quite a lot of the humanoids reprint library. I have you know many humanoids trades which were originally originally published in either heavy metal or metal or not. So hmm. this style, you know, they could be flexible. There is stuff which is just you know boobies, and there is stuff which is more intellectual. Yeah. What they're trying to sell here in the Grant Morrison's Heavy Metal, which you've quoted extensively at the beginning of the episode, good for you, by the way. He is so full of himself. <laughs> that and introduction is just like... I think it's great. You could not sound more self-satisfied. Well, I If think he were any further up his own butt, he'd look like a rolled, rolled up ball of socks. Grant Morrison earned the right, I believe. <sighs> oh, well, and, based on this uh, issue. Uh, yeah, though. no, no. And here's the thing. There is a version of Tom Shapiro. A young Tom Shapiro... Which would have loved this. 15 to 20 year old me is all over this issue. All over it. Okay. All over it, really. The I'm too edgy for you bits. The expressive art. The boobs and nudity and we're transgressive for transgressiveness sake. This issue specifically? This issue, yeah. I would. Okay. 15 year old me, all over this. 31 year old me is like. I see what you're doing there, but I'm just not buying it. Hmm. And for me, it's all gloss. Because again, beautifully designed, artwork up to heaven, you know, mm-hmm. it looks great. But the stories are just... There is nothing really memorable here. The grand, the, the opening story by Grant Morrison and... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Benjamin Mara. Benjamin Mara. It looks great. It, it looks great. It looks now, great. And, and it's, it's setting up a joke... That would have been perfectly appropriate for a future shock mm. in 2018. And then it ends in that uh, to be continued. What? For what? One more page and you would have had a gag. Yeah. Like, I, that's actually, that was a major problem that I had here. Which the, cu- was, the cuts, the cuts up are very weird. They are. Most of the stories here are done in one. Yeah. But almost all of them are really unsatisfying at the ending. Yeah. Like, key's you feel like, like, uh, the, like, the key looks great, feels great, and then it's like, uh, no, I actually, the key was actually the only story in the entire anthology. It feels that like I there's a page missing there, like one, Something more. No, it was mm. so cute. Okay. Well, hang on. So let's take it story by story. So, Whoa, that's a lot of work. <laughs> okay, so no, because actually the some of those are just articles. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So Beachhead. It's basically this warlike alien race that invade Earth. They find this lifeless volcanic rock. The leader is so set on conquering and killing that the gag that they don't say but is very clear is that they're not actually on Earth. They probably landed on Mars or Mercury or whatever. Or it's or everybody already died. Sure. There was another occupation. It's it's a setup for a really great joke, and it's a really great joke that again, 2000 AD probably. In it, fact, it's, it's like there was the Alan Moore story about the conquering horde that leaves its homeworld, circles the galaxy, conquers everything, and then ends up conquering their own mm-hmm. homeworld. I actually reminded of another Alan Moore story, the one that was in the. Uh, Tales from the DCU in which the uh, spider guild from the Omega world tries to conquer a species that lives on a different time scale. I never read that one. It's, it's in the DC Universe stories by Alan oh. Moore. It's like a short. So they try to occupy this planet, but the inhabitants are rock people who think, you know, in geological timescape, so they don't know they're being conquered. <laughs> and the evil is like, they should know, we should torture them, and they try to, you know, burn them, and they would never notice it. It would take a million years of attacking them before they even notice we're here, and then the final page is shifting to the alien's point of view, and like, what was that? <laughs> Which, yeah, this feels like it should yeah. be that. And, but and then it ends, and, though. And, and I'm nothing. Yeah. And Mara's art is great, you know. Yeah. You know, go, go for him. This looks terrific. This is actually the kind of approach I would love to see on future quests. 
and over yeah. the top explosionist yeah. kind of thing. Sure, you know, at least that no, would DC be... would never approve it in a million years. No. But I mean, but here, mm. so that's one. Then you have Mind Bomb. Now, Mind Bomb is creepy. It's about this girl who's living in fear of the atom bomb and her beliefs are at odds with what the psychologists are telling her. And then the ending makes no sense at all. Like, it just abruptly comes to a stop, mm. right? The psychologists have hospitalized her and then she sees this angel of the atomic destruction or whatever and that's the end of the story. Well, no, I, I get what they're doing here. I think this works. You know, it's not my favorite, but it works. They, they, they aim for something and they achieve it. No, I thought that like they mm. completely dropped the ball by not like it just ends in like stasis. So she walks off into the darkness. Um, Goddess by Ryan Fear and Hugo Predis. Same this is problem. An ongoing, no, this is actually an ongoing. I think. No, no, no. It, it, ends. it doesn't meant to signal another story. Oh, exactly. You see, exactly. <laughs> really? Oh, this is done in one. But again, like the art here is gorgeous. Oh. Hugo Petrus's art is beautiful, but again, the story is so unsatisfying. So Girl wanders out of the forest, gets taken in by kind villagers. This being the Middle Ages, you know, they're a hunting-based society for their food. The girl ends up being this like forest goddess who slaughters everyone, including like the the people who showed kindness to her. The end. What's the like? I find myself asking over and over again with these stories: What is the point? don't show kind strangers apparently. Lost children should be left alone. There, there's no, you know, there, there, there's no message here. There's nothing. I, I well, don't. There's a message. It's really stupid. Yeah, like uh, uh, animal cruelty is bad. Uh, the absurd side of comics we and can science skip that, is because I don't know how it was greenlighted. It, <laughs> no, it's a joke strip. It just doesn't. Uh, it's not funny. Not in the least. Um, I skipped the Enki Bilal story because, because it's, it's part, part seven. seven. I've tried it, but it do, it doesn't work for me. But again, it's part seven. Yeah, I, like, I don't surprised. know. What, what you know, if if you've read it before, it's part seven. So apparently, there are enough fans to keep it ongoing. So, or uh, that's what it was commissioned. I don't know. Yeah. Now, Massimiliano Frazzato has the key, and I thought that this one was like. The best story because at the very least it manages to do mm. what all the others don't, it which is, is beginning, middle, end, and you understand the point. It does feel like something that could be published in Amazing Forest again. Yeah, it's like it's Or this really island. cute sequence. Oh, this would have been great on Island. Mm. Like it's this really cute sequence of a guy who has a woman living inside him, who is trading letters. With a woman who has a guy living inside her. Yep. And it's cute. It's so with adorable. Bo- with a bow and arrow. Yeah, and like they're in love and they're shooting love photos back and forth. It's like, that's adorable. Yeah. And there's not a word of dialogue. And it's great. Time served by... Yeah. Uh, it's Kyle Charles and Michael Morecki. Again, look great. Look, look yeah. great. Uh, ends yeah. in a completely arbitrary point. I found the box. That's it. The end. It's like, and, you know, there's there's... It, it, it looks like it's trying to be like a bad boy version of Egos, which I, I would buy. You know? Which would have been acceptable, except that Egos is not published, so, you know, we need... Well, no, Egos also, like, comparatively speaking, explains what's going on. Mm-hmm. Here, it was just like, eh, time. Uh, yeah, another, time yeah. Time is a thing, Tom. Yeah. Time uh, is a thing. The 49th key. I skipped that part. Yeah, eight. another a part eight of Although so. the art, really good. Mm, a bit too, you know, static for me. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very nicely colored. It's very atmospheric, but you know, the characters all look like they're sta- like they're photorealistic. Yeah, it's, kind it's of shades of Alex Ross. Hmm? Shades of Alex Ross. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Which again, I like Alex Ross as a cover artist. I, I think Alex Ross. Does the priest not look like John Rhys Davies? He, he does. <laughs> 
I sort of imagine is, I think the you know the Alex Ross problem where you know you start off as a kid, you look at his art for the first time, like oh this is amazing, and then you grow up and it's like this is kind of static and boringy, and everybody's posing. The first exposure is always like this is amazing, but. Unlike somebody like, say, Sienkiewicz, we've talked about this last yeah. episode. Well, Sienkiewicz is more abstract. I think it does no, no, but to, you like, know, there, there are the artists that, that blow your mind for the first time, and when you get used to it, it's like, well, yeah, you 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 look amazing comparatively, but your your fundamentals are weak, right? Your Although, actual storytelling is not that good. You have to wonder if perceptions of Alex Ross are going to change now that there's a cinematic universe where you actually do have like an idea of what these characters supposedly look like realistically boring right. uh, magic words is if you nothing had, magic words if you had not told me that Grant Morrison had written this I would have been like there's no way that Grant Morrison didn't write this because it's because like it's a take it seems to be a take off on his own uh, uh, magic and pop uh, article that he did years and years ago for yeah. uh, this uh, this information quote yeah I, I was sure that he wrote this <laughs> But it's just one page of yeah. Nothing. But it's it's one page that like makes its point about like how math mm. is really like the magic words that superheroes use. Again, stuff thing. that I really liked as a chi- as a child when I was exposed to it. Mm. Uh, there's a series of photos by Giuseppe Palenti. Oh God, what did this have to do with anything? I don't like. It, I, it looks nice. It looks nice. I appreciate art discourse, but not what I picked this issue up for. And Fiendy? Oh my god. Again. This one was more like funny than enjoyable. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, and Gary T. Beck's basically doing sex jokes for 20 pages. Yeah, it's about an, an art, a futuristic civilization in which there are versions of extreme arts. Yeah. Including, you know, planetary destruction. Sure. And it's like, let's build a statue. Made out of wrecks of starships in the shape of a woman who's giving birth to a universe, and it's like, okay. and the statue is literally the size of a galaxy. What's it called? A uh, uh, horizon with yeah. a W. Yeah, <laughs> wreckage. It's funny, but and it's funny, but it also ends in sort of like, what? Well, that's it? Yeah, that's... like it's a string of jokes that are amusing on their own, but then they don't build towards anything. And and that's again amazing art uh, by uh, Gary T. Bex, who was yeah. also writing. All the stories, well, ninety percent of the stories here look amazing, and that's the, like I said, that's, that's it. A, it's very, it's so glossy, but I just don't feel the content. And for me, and considering that Grant Morrison's elevation to editor in chief was predicated on the idea that heavy metal would suddenly see a kind of content it had never seen before, the art's amazing. I mean, the last story, right? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Lepi... Lepidoptera. Yeah, okay, butterfly collecting. The ending is such a generic... Really? That's the... The big twist is literally taking out, out of the science fiction handbook of what not to do. Yeah. Of this is the twist that's been done a million times. I'm not going to spoil it, even though spoil it's away. obvious. We've been spoiling no, everything so far. No, we, we haven't been spoiling. We've talked about the stories. We haven't been spoiling them. Sure we have. Go ahead. No, no. I, or don't. I don't. I just... I don't care enough to spoil it. Again, looks great. Nothing... And I'm thinking back to Island. Uh, that was like the obvious point of comparison. Because yeah. like Island... Island is not... Island is hit and miss too. But at the very least, I mean, admittedly, like with a lot of the stories that are being published in Island, I'm deliberately waiting until they're done before I read them mm. in sequence. But like some of the stuff that came out and was finished, like, you know, Daggerproof Mummy, uh, ID. Q, ID... 
there was one I've done in one story about like two people stuck in a in the forest somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. And like, listen, I didn't like the gay furry story, but at least it's a self-contained unit that is handed to you, and, and you with it what you and, will. And you know, you realize with Alan after the first issue, and certainly after you know now that we're in issue eight almost, you know what Graham and Rios and the writers and artists they collect are trying to do. You get the attitude, you get the aims, and with heavy metal, it's a bit scattershot. Yeah, because you can you can do something like Amazing Force, which is dominated by certain creative types and and showing a range of emotions throughout their stories. You can do something like uh, Legends of Tomorrow, two thousand and eighteen, which is let's do action adventures with you know a stable set of characters. You can do Island, which is let's sell you an idea, an attitude. And heavy metal, and heavy metal under Grant Morrison sells you what? What is the guiding line here, other than looks pretty? According to Morrison, himself, well, this is the mm. the difference between what Morrison thinks he's doing and what he's actually doing. What all the anthologies that you've cited have in common: Amazing Forest, Island, uh, uh, even 2000 AD to a very large extent. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, what all of these anthologies have in common is that at the end of the day, when they purport to give you whether these stories are you know, done in one, five pages and they're finished, or they're sequential and they're published over a certain length of time. There's a sense, first of all, of pacing, because you have to know, like, if you're telling a story that lasts five pages, it has to have an actual ending that makes sense. And Greg Morrison should notice he wrote for 2000 AD. Some of his best works were 2000 AD. You would think that he would know that. He does not. You want to sell it on the merits of the art? Fine, you can do that. But then that doesn't distinguish you from any other anthology that has amazing artwork. And on top of amazing artwork, has a great story to sell too. There are levels to this. And and the fact that this issue only really excels at visual without giving... like There is no sense of, ironically, the editor's job of being like, okay... You have five pages. Maybe drop this in the middle and like have a stronger conclusion. Mm. Nothing. And I can understand like a new editor wanting to maybe have a lighter touch, but this is the end result, right? It's, it's, it's a decidedly and mediocre. I, and I think, like you said with uh, Future Quest, I can see who is it going to appeal to. It's not appealing. Morrisonites. No, I don't think just Morrisonites. Again, I think. Because he's selling this as like the dawn of a new age. Of Aquarius? Of reptile dysfunction. I don't know. Uh, hey, age, I like Age of Reptiles. He has like a <laughs> two page. It's like the, the. I think he may be reaching the point in his career where the pretentiousness is no longer backed up by. I think, the I think, thing. I think pretentiousness, you know. The, the pretentiousness that Morrison sold was never backed out. The thing is, he's no longer young. And it's like a rock star, right? When they're young and they're full of themselves, you're like, well, this is so charming. And when he gets older and he's still doing the thump on the chest, I'm the greatest, it's a bit like, man. And nothing changed, you know, in, in Morrison's case, especially because he doesn't age. Yeah. You know, he, he's 55, looks like he's in his mid-30s. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I can't fault him for that. It's just... Our perception changes. And Morrison, again, coming back to well, the Dr. Manhattan images, I think he's kind of stuck in times like he's still doing the things that did him, you know, that made him famous and made his name. The problem is he's not doing them as well. That's not and his that, only problem. No, no. And, and he doesn't seem to understand that things have changed around him. And 
something else as well mm. is that unlike when Morrison was at his prime, he has competition now. Mm. If heavy metal were the only anthology around, it's possible that we would be more tolerant of at least this is something like this is the best that you can get given the format, given the ideas that he's trying to push. But it's like, sir, there are two other anthologies. Granted, they don't come out monthly and I'm pretty sure Amazing Forest is done. But like there are two other anthologies in recent memory that kick your ass. And if you can't meet that level, then why do we need you? You know, like he's acting as if he still has a monopoly on these kinds of stories. But clearly, you know, someone like Brandon Graham and Ulysses Farinas are doing their own thing. So he doesn't seem to understand that he needs to compete with them. And he's losing because, you know, this is not... Again, I will return to the good stuff. Looks great. Looks uh, great, but that's about what else well, do you have. No, no, no. And I think it's important because we've talked about pricing early hmm. to mention again. Yes, this is an eight dollar comic, which gives you over a hundred pages of content. Most of them are comics, you know. Again, some non comic stuff, and it's important for me at least to mention and support it in theory. Of you yeah. know, I I would have bought this even if it wasn't a Grant Morrison issue, simply on the basis of oh, this is your best foot forward, right? You want me, to, you want to give me something, so I would try you. Yeah, and I, I think can, it's important to support I can that. that. And I would, re- I would actually not liking this issue very much. I would actually recommend it to many people simply on the basis of this is a good tryout. Uh... This is, you know, for for other ex Morrison fans, you know, you might you might like it, or even for people who are younger. We know several people who are. You know, younger comic book fans who yeah. look for the transgressive and the new. And but why I would you I, send them to? So like, now I wouldn't send them specifically to this, but I think Grant Morrison's name is a good push for the door for these people, and they would try it. And maybe you know what? I don't like it. I think they no. will like it. But I, it's, see, it's I disagree. The, I'd be like, if I were in a position where I had to approach younger readers, right? People who don't necessarily buy into. Hey, kid, you want some comics? You want some comics? Uh, no, but like seriously, you're a Popeye descender. Analogy. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> if I had to, though, right? Like, if you had to recommend an anthology, the mm. first thing out of your mind would be Island, right? Yeah. Or Amazing Forest, or even, like, if you were a classicist and you were, and you were still into, like, Judge Dredd or whatever. Oh, I'm, and, and I'm I, still into Judge Dredd. I mean, I don't even know what 2008 you're doing these days. I sort uh, of lost... Well, I phased out after... Well, Nicolai since Dante. we've talked about Rebirth, and uh, you don't want to know that uh, Dredd's dead, baby. Dredd has a dead baby? Dredd, Dredd is dead, baby. Oh, they already tried that last time, and they sent him to the Cursed Earth, and he came no, back. No, 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 no. Then, Okay. Yeah, again, everybody knows that he's going to come back. But what else are they doing outside of the Dreadverse? Uh, There's Blunt, which is a nice space opera post-uplifting story, you know, about a giant gorilla bodyguard. And there's uh, Dan Abnett's something called Outlaw, which is Dan Abnett, so it's fun. Again, so like, there are so many things that you could recommend that are successful as anthologies before you would even get to heavy metal. Just like in in the comparison. So... Like, the only reason that you would have to recommend this would be because Grant Morrison is attached to it. But clearly, he's not the only person in the game anymore. And if other people can do better than him, then why should... Like, what obligation do I have to be like, read this because Grant Morrison? Like, no, Grant Morrison had his time. This is the extremely positive episode of the Smorgasbord. Again, like I, well, it did it did bring back memories of Island and and Amazing Fantasy. I, Island, Island is good. Buy Island, read Island. Um, Island is also good uh, price for page, no? Yeah, it's you know they dropped from hundred pages to eighty pages, so it's for six eight dollars, eight dollars still. Eh, 
still doable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much better than anything that Marvel or DC is offering. <laughs> That's not trying hard. Yeah. I think that this is sort of a product of him still thinking that he's the only name in the game. Because remember, like when he was the big kahuna at DC, up to Multiversity or whatever, it's not like he was competing against other writers who were in his wheelhouse, right? Like when he was writing Multiversity or before that Final Crisis, he was the one that was dictating terms to others. It's not like there was anybody else at DC or for that matter when he was working at Marvel on New X-Men. Mm. There was no one there that was on his level. There was no one there that was doing the stuff that he was doing. Right, New X-Men stands out at the time that it was being published because there was nothing else like it on the stand. He doesn't have that now. Now, you know, he's doing he's editing heavy metal, he's submitting content to heavy metal. We are seeing better now. Like we are in a real life situation where there are better alternatives. So if you can't step up your game, Mr. Morrison, you know, what have you done for us lately? That's that's uh, the bottom line. Okay, I think yeah, I think that's enough. So this was another happy episode of the Smorgasbord. Give us reasons to be happy. Like, like, and we like, like Watchmen, we are smiling with a lots of, with a blood stain on it, or maybe it's just the little Gorbachev yeah. thing going on over there. Uh, so I'm Tom Shapira, and I'm Sean Adri. Until next time, bon appetit. <laughs>